Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Game Junk Podcast for November 2016. This is episode number 30, and my name is Sean. My name is Frank. My name is Andrew. Coming up on this month's episode, we're going to be talking about PlayStation VR, a rundown of all the launch titles, a bunch of stuff we played, the overall experience, uh, as well as some big news about the Nintendo Switch, the announcement of Nintendo's new console, and uh, we got some hot button, we got some junk mail, other stuff we played. It's, it's going to be a packed show, as usual. You know, it's, We're going to the wee hours of the morning here. Uh, how you guys doing? It's been a little while. Doing great. Playing minimal games, but still <laughs> playing something occasionally. Yeah, I mean, this is the season, right? Like, as soon as you get into November, and there have been some big releases in October as well. Like, I'm starting to feel that, you know, just that it's getting cold outside. I just want to snuggle up in front of my game console. You know what I mean? I must say, my library hold list is growing. <laughs> exponentially well it's it's good that they're uh they're feeding you yeah. stuff to play so um yeah i'm i'm right there with you guys like i am dying to play games and i'm not playing any video games or i don't seem to have extended periods of time to play games so one of these days i just need like a saturday i gotta pump through all of gears of war 4 all of Battlefield 1, which I think have relatively short campaigns, mm-hmm. and and get back to ReCore. Like, there's a long list of games, and that's before you even add VR to the table. Yeah, and, and there are some games still coming out that I'm looking forward to anyway, but... And I've, like, it's so weird. Whenever I have a few seconds to play a game, all I play now, and this is rare for me, is Madden... Or Forza Horizon. Yes, Madden. One, one or three. Like, that's all I want to play. Hmm. Part of it is I don't have extended periods of time, so those are easy to pick up and play. Yeah. Yeah, that's always a problem. For Frank, sure. we've got to get into a league together. Yeah, man. I'm on 17. You're still on 16, though, no? Uh, I have both. Oh, sweet. Okay, yeah, for sure. I got 17 on the old library. I've never. Oh, nice! I've never done a league before. I don't know how that goes. Oh, really? Like, so you're just crushing the computer? That's no fun. Like I'm doing a like one of those connected franchises in like yeah, single just, player mode. just by yourself. Oh, yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it going. Okay. All right. Well, so before we jump into things, so I guess we should just mention, you know, if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome to the show. It's a pretty irregular podcast, but hopefully, it's it's jam packed with stuff. Um, we do have a website, gamejunkpodcast.com, and you can uh, follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gamejunk, and on Twitter, at gamejunkpodcast, and we do occasionally post some news and, and things on there if you're interested in that. Um, so you guys, uh, I know, uh, Huck City, you've got sort of a uh, personal announcement in terms of game development. Do you, you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, yeah, so I've kind of been sitting on it, but not really keeping it under wraps, just that I've kind of gone indie on my own. I started my own company called Equilibrium Systems, and you can find it at (laughs) equilibriumsystems.com and on Equilibrium Sys on Twitter. And basically just going to start trying to grind out some games of my own ideas and 
see where it goes. It's kind of going to be a slow burn at first. I'm doing some contracts and uh, still taking care of the kids. So the time is not very, not a lot of time, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> not there it definitely yet, but seems like it must be a challenge, but... Yeah, but I got ideas. There's still time to jot down notes while the kids are playing with the Legos. So I'm going to keep that rolling and, and try to, you know, build something in the near future. And hopefully we can get something out there. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to working on games again and of my own idea, which will be a lot of fun. And so, yeah, give me a follow on those spots. And when news come up, I'll make sure you Game Junk listeners get all the downloads of uh, whatever we're doing. Nice. So, uh, I don't know, Frank, is there anything you have to announce or talk about or not really? Uh, not really. I would say, well, I'm currently working at uh, Creative Byte Studios mm-hmm. in St. Catharines and uh, with uh, Paul, who's been on the show before. And uh, we will probably be announcing stuff relatively soon, hopefully. Uh, so, if you want to get in on the ground floor you know see those announcements first uh you could check them out on twitter at c bytes studios c is in the letter c yeah and bytes as in b-y-t-e-s so do we have a guarantee of an announcement before the end of the year frank uh no guarantees pr- likely i would think but you never know okay i, I think by the end of the year Looking forward to it. Um, I have nothing to talk about, so (laughs) (laughs) don't ask. Um, But I am missing games a little bit in terms of the the job right now. Um, Well, why don't we uh, kick things off with the big news story of the month? And I think, you know, we were kind of thinking we would, you know, plan the next show around this announcement, and they kept pushing it off, and then it finally happened what, a couple of weeks ago now? Uh, mm-hmm. So Nintendo unveiled the NX, which is actually called the Nintendo Switch. And, I mean, the thing is there's still more info to come. So it's kind of hard to fully discuss when they're saying that, I guess there's another uh, press conference or something scheduled for January, if I'm not mistaken, where there's going to be more features and functionality and games yes. to talk about. But there is a trailer out there that kind of demos what this system of ca- is capable of. And I, I think most of the rumors were pretty spot on, right? Like it's it's a mm-hmm. combination of a actual home console and a portable device. The idea is it's like something you can take with you on the go and uh, you have like controllers that snap into the side and it's kind of like a tablet with controllers on the side and then you come home and you plug it into your base unit and then you can play it you know in hd on your tv at home and uh those the the controllers kind of have different configurations and they fit together in different ways and stuff like that so that's the the basics um but so what what are you guys thinking is this groundbreaking stuff from nintendo or is this just too little too late well i I kind of like it, to tell the truth, um, mainly because it kind of reminds me of the Vita, at least in the portable mode, and I've been playing my Vita a lot recently, and the fact that you could have a Vita-like console with Nintendo experiences, 
and possibly Nintendo Backlog, if they possibly get finally going on that kind of thing. I guess they have some of that on the Wii, Wii Store, right, or the eShop, whatever they call it. Virtual console. Virtual console. I don't know That's if they the still one. use that term, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I do have some concerns, though, and also I would like to know more information, mainly on a technical level. Mm-hmm. Um, like the one thing that the trailer didn't really go over was if it's a touchscreen or not, which is interesting to me because if they're trying to sort of join the 3DS market and the Wii U market, both those markets are now used to touchscreens of some kind. So it seems like, I don't know, I've heard rumors that there is a touchscreen that's, yeah, the, the there's reports out there that seem pretty confident that it is a touchscreen and it will be announced in January, confirmed in January. But Yeah, yeah. But so yeah, that's what I'm yeah. hearing as well. I, I do find it weird that you could, I guess you can have it, but then if you want to use the touchscreen, does that mean that the home console mode, the 1080p, is basically irrelevant? Like you would not be able to, you'd be basically just make a portable game at that point. That's like sort of the questions I have, mm-hmm. um, unless they would demand an alternate control scheme, uh, which seems strange, but I can see it. I guess they didn't really explicitly say if you could use it as a uh, like some sort of connection to the TV, but it seems like in order to project the TV, you need to have it plugged into that base from the trailer. That's what it seemed like. Yeah, I don't. I, I didn't get the impression that you could sit in front of your TV and use the the tablet as a controller. Yeah. but maybe if they have some sort of know. like additional cable, you could run to the TV, like some sort of HDMI something. I'm yeah. I'm not sure. I'm thinking that that box actually has processing power in it that boosts that it. help that helps it output to like a 4K signal or uh, a higher signal. I, I'm not sure what the resolution on this. The portable screen is, but I'm assuming it's smaller than. I believe a they TV. said it's 720p. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I mean, right? it's so, partially it's because you don't want, like, if it was 1080p, it would kill your battery life for one thing. Right. So I'm I'm assuming there's extra processing power, but I could be wrong. Yeah. If this thing doesn't at least output at 1080p, I mean, it's a joke out of the gate. Well, that stand looked pretty beefy to just be yeah exactly like pass through. And otherwise, if that was the case, why even, like, why have the stand then? If it's not doing something processing-wise, like, we have Vitas and other things that stream to, like, things over home network. So I, f- I feel like that's got to be the case. Yeah. So, uh, so Frank, what's your overall impression from what you've seen so far? <sighs> well... I'll say what I said on Twitter first. Uh, at the very minimum, it, like it seems like they've consolidated their portable and console market into one product, which I think is interesting in some respects. But at the very least, I will only have to buy Nintendo games for one console in the future and never play them because <laughs> I, I don't I don't see the quality of the games changing all that much. Obviously, I'm interested in Zelda not sold on it yet and definitely interested in a new Mario game all in the vein of Mario 64. But I still think it's they're, they're 
they've obviously done research. They they think they can like hit some niche, and I know they have Nintendo faithfuls that'll buy whatever they make. But in terms of generating third party support, I do not see it with the system. Uh, see, that's funny. The, like, I, I somebody had sent me a link to something that basically was saying that they are getting back a lot of their third-party support. And they I, do this with every console announcement, Sean. That was just all say. the big publishers, though. Yeah, I mean, like, I still don't... Unless it's... I mean, the first thing right, right off the bat, we don't know if it's powerful enough to do what the PS4 and the Xbox One can do. And if it's not, you know, Nintendo is already, again, going to be looked at as you know, a step behind. And it, it seemed like they were they were saying that the next console was going to, they were going to catch up, that they were going to go back to trying to be cutting edge. So I don't know what's what's going on there. I Well, I agree, and I don't see that at all. And I, the one thing that might save them, if it's maybe comparable power to a PS4 or an Xbox One, is that those two consoles are going to have, like, second tier consoles, but all of their games are going to have to work on a minimum scale, pretty much like the existing PS4 and the existing Xbox one. So if they're at that level, it might save them in terms of games, you know, getting it to run on that, on that platform. But there's also the fact that like, it's a big deal that they said unity and I think Epic and a few other engines are going to be confirmed to work on that system, which probably if, if that didn't happen, then I would say they're fucked completely in terms of getting content on this. But again, I like, especially in the early going, uh, yeah, I thought this was their chance to catch up and make a powerful system at a cheaper cost two years into the life cycles of the other ones. And I just feel like they've failed again. They they've gone a step backwards uh, I, I'm not that impressed with the games that I saw on it. And I mean, ultimately we're talking about a game that's going to run on the Wii U and breath of the wild. So they've actually like regressed a, gen a generation, so to speak. So I don't know. I'm not buying it. Well, I'm buying it, but I'm not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I, I kind of like about it, uh, is, Sort of like, well, I mean, there's one thing that's neat, though I don't know, I'll probably never use it, and that's that it seems like the units, when you're portable, can talk to each other, right? Because they had the sort of like the uh, land NBA land party going on and the Splatoon land party. Right. So there's got to be some sort of built-in Bluetooth, Wi-Fi type local connectivity without needing cables, mm -hmm. which is kind of neat to have such a powerful system that you can do that with. Because I know the 3DS could do that, and I think I think that the PSP could do it back in the day as well. Yeah. But I don't know of anyone that ever used it for the PSP at least. Um, so that kind of has some interesting things for you know probably younger people that would be interested in doing that with friends. I mean, the odds of us doing it. But I mean, the other thing is it seems like you're limited. You know how most game consoles now can do at least four people. You know, they only showed two. Now, that doesn't mean it's only two. But even when they were doing the demos for the NBA and for Splatoon... Oh, no, I guess Splatoon didn't count because they each had their own. But the NBA and the Mario Kart were all just split screen. And they also didn't show those running on the TV. So it's hard to say if 
it's going to allow more than two controller connections at one time, or if you know those two switch controllers, whatever we're calling them, are going to be the only two controllers you can use ever as like individuals, as separate inputs. Right. Uh, that's what I mean. That's kind of the information that's now lacking that you need to kind of know to make decisions going forward. And um, it seems like we just need that next announcement in January or wherever it's going to be, which seems crazy to me because it comes out in March. Yeah. So you're waiting until two months before the thing launches to actually tell people what it is. Maybe that's a good marketing plan, but to me it seems like, okay, the initial hype wore off, and now it's just like, okay, dead time until January because no one knows anything else. They're not announcing anything. Yeah. And they're miss- they're missing a holiday season where there's not a lot going on games wise. Yeah. I'm not excited about much. Well, it's that's all why kind they of c- put out com- that NES classic, right? Well and it's it, the other thing too is it seems like you are basically destroying any sales you could hope for for the Wii U oh, by yeah, announcing I mean, this yeah, they, right before holiday. Definitely. And I I think I saw an article today saying that the Wii U is going out of print yeah, uh which bas- yeah which basically means it's to officially dead yeah uh so i don't know what in- so nintendo's basically gonna have a horrible fourth quarter uh yeah it just seems well i i don't weird. think so i think i think like sean Pokemon said coming out for 3ds which is going to be huge but no 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 the nes mini is going to sell a bajillion like it's going to sell more than any console this holiday yeah, probably. every per every person i know who doesn't even play video games says to me oh did you see that cool nintendo thing coming out like the most casual of gamers is buying this thing that thing is gonna yeah. do a lot of business and on top of that i anticipate mario uh endless runner coming out november or january to compensate as well. oh i guess that's true yeah yeah that's true for sure so, I mean, that brings up a good point. I, I, I would say overall I'm not that impressed with this announcement. I, I have learned in the past to never underestimate Nintendo. But, I mean, coming off of the Wii U, which was definitely a disappointment, I don't know that they've found that groundbreaking thing that's going to get people excited again. And I, I think the, the big thing that I'm worried about is consolidating the home console with the portable because I'm not convinced that people want the home console experience on a portable screen, you know, like if that was the case, the Vita would have done amazing and it didn't. And on top of that, it's not that portable. I mean, like it's not something you can just put in your pocket. They show people playing it on a train or a bus or something. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't see that many people like actually bringing this thing with them. You can take out the controllers and just have a kickstand up. Yeah, but even that feels like there's something, you know, it's a little more private when you have the little thing in your lap, but when you have it out on a bench, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know, I I feel like it's a little more uh, draws attention. I don't know if people will be that comfortable with throwing their nerdy gamerness out there. Yeah, true. (laughs) And Frank, what do you feel about those tiny little controllers that will be impossible for anyone to hold? Well, I have I have freakish baby hands, so I'm okay. Uh, I have the smallest hands ever, so I think I'll be able to manage. But when they had them turn sideways and holding them like... Yeah, it looked a little awkward. It looked very weird. Uh, I would say it does look a little too big to be portable, specifically. And on top of that, like I thought Nintendo 
to be fair, they they might just be trying to get something out there to react to things, maybe course correct a bit, and just get the name and stuff out there for people to know. Uh, I was surprised there was no VR component. I still think there could be, but based on the specs and the 720 screen, I doubt that's the case. I doubt it. It just seemed like such a natural progression for me. They have all the. They started on the 3D, right? Like and AR stuff, which just transitions so well into VR. And when I saw that the two sides of the controllers were going to come off, I'm like, that screen, that's perfect. I can hold those controllers, put that into something that's the equivalent of a Samsung Gear, and you're good to go. You've got like this cheap virtual reality machine. But I, it seems like that's not on the slate at all. Uh, and I thought they were going to trump Sony's cheap entry point into VR with this thing, especially since they've like experimented with stereoscopic and augmented reality and 3D on the 3DS. It felt like a very natural fit. So maybe I, that's coming. I doubt it. I wonder if they're going to try to to like emulate the 3D through software somehow, where it'll like be able to kind of split the images and give you that 3ds vibe on like a bigger screen, but just through software. No, oh, no, that's what I was, that's what I was talking about. Like it would just like output, render a, a split screen image, right? That's what like the Samsung gear and stuff like that does. Yeah. And then if you put it in the right goggles, that well, why can't it looked a little too big to go in a headset. But, it, but if you custom built a switch adapter, that slides into some sort of headset, in theory, you'd be able to, like, counter the weight on the back somehow with, like, an actual, like, Nintendo-branded, you know, headset thing. Maybe. Maybe, but I think it would be... It would have to be a bit smaller. Like, it, it to me, it looked like, like an iPad size almost, and I don't see an iPad fitting in the front of a headset for <laughs> VR. That seems a little too big. I, I think it's definitely a bit smaller than that. Yeah? Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Just based okay. on how small the controllers were when people held them sideways. That's the height yeah. of the screen. And those basketball players were not real basketball players. They were actors <laughs> playing basketball <laughs> players. So Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I said it before, the Virtual Boy, like, you know, it's a huge missed opportunity. Nintendo had nostalgia on their side. They could have brought back Virtual Boy for VR 2.0, and uh, it seems like they're not interested. But there are some things that people are talking about. Like, apparently the device in the patents there's something about uh infrared sensors or something did you guys read about this no i don't understand what like uh, i could be totally off base here because i didn't read the full article but it seemed like it shot infrared rays out and it could like sense things like objects in front of it i don't mm -hmm. really know what that would be used for like it doesn't that's weird it's like almost to... like a like a light radar yeah, I mean, like, I mean, infrared's used for like remote controls and stuff, but it's not really sensing anything. It's just receiving a light signal. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess it just seems like maybe it's a, a motion control input yeah, or it's, something, which that makes sense, I guess. But it's so you can use probably one of those side well, controllers to point like a Wiimote at yeah, it. Yeah, the Wii used think. infrared too. <clears throat> right. Um. But, yeah, and I guess the other big thing we don't know is we don't know the price point, which is going to be huge. I mean, yeah. you've got to assume it's going to be cheaper than the PS4 and Xbox One, but I don't know. I'm going to 
stated here first. Pos- definitely without base. I'm not. I don't know if the base is going to be extra, but on a, a basic kit for this thing, it's going to be two seventy nine. Hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> no base. <laughs> two two seventy nine American for the Switch. Well, what's the the graphics card is a Tegra or something from Nvidia. What's the current Integra type or Tegra, whatever it's called, going for? It, it says here it's a three hundred and twenty dollar Nvidia card that they're using, and that's just the graphics card, not all the other junk. Yeah, but this is just some random website that I googled, so I have no idea how much this. This guy is saying he predicts it will be $250 US will be the um, initial price tag. I guess they could always take a hit on the hardware. Oh, 100%. No, I, I think, two, I think $279 was not I what I thought it was. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, like, obviously just so many question marks right now. And um, I, I would love for there to be some killer feature that they're going to just blow everyone away with but it just feels like they're stalling almost you know like the fact that they pushed off this announcement a bit and didn't reveal it at e3 it just feels like it's not ready yeah and that's not good for anybody um my only other big concern is with storage because that handset mm -hmm. obviously needs to contain the hard drive the storage or at least some storage uh or at least an SD slot, I guess. Because in the trailer, it showed them inserting some sort of game SD card type thing. Yeah, it looked like a Not an 3DS SD card, but something similar. Card. Yeah. So, obviously, they need onboard storage for that. And if it's just SD memory, I mean, I don't know what the biggest SD memory card you can have now is. It's probably pretty large, but it's nowhere near hard drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so Unless like, they have some sort of like Apple type uh, hard drive in there that's super tiny, so like yeah, the like idea of downloading a AAA game and having it on the actual yeah, like having digital downloads, even even large patches yeah. could just destroy your your hard drive space on that thing. That's so true. Like think of again third party support. Like some games are twenty gigs now, right? Like on a let's say they have a hundred gig flash drive to keep the, the cost manageable or you can expand on your own. And they obviously have carts that you can buy, but like Huck said, uh, a patch or something is going to throw everything out the window. Now you're asking third-party developers to somehow probably make a version of their game. That's a smaller size or using smaller textures. Who, who knows? But it's, it is a disaster. Yeah. And, and, the, and the cart only limits developers more because obviously the size of those is going to be limited because it's just flash memory. Um, so you're not going to have like the big, you know, the big hard drive to be able to put on whatever you want or even, you know, like a Blu-ray disc, I guess is now pretty, is now, what is, what's a Blu-ray hold like 80 gigs or something? I can't remember what it holds. That sounds about right. But I mean, that's a lot of space. I guess you could get an 80 or 64. Well, you could probably get a 64 gig game card. Probably. I'm sure, yeah, I I'm sure that's they can do possible. That. But you're right. Like you, you start talking about the size of you know, like an Xbox One or PS4 game. That's not something that's going to fit on a portable media card or something. Like that's going to be on a hard drive, which is only going to be at home, not on the go. Yeah, and when I say third-party developers, I mean like AAA space, pretty much, right? I think 
it's definitely a console where indie developers can thrive with smaller game sizes in general. And uh, I don't see a lot, a lot with like the Wii U. That's who is providing content towards the end of that system's life cycle. So I, I think indie will do fine on the Wii U, especially again, it's going to be a system star for content because it's just going to be Nintendo releasing stuff. And the obvious exception to this is for some reason, a consumer base responds with this system and buys it much the same way the Wii was. And developers are forced, we saw with the Wii, they just forced out garbage to get it in the hands of casual gamers that would buy anything for that system. So uh, maybe people learn their lesson on the Wii or that opportunity to have a fad game console has come and gone. So uh, I don't know. I don't think it looks good unless... I mean, the only thing that's going to save them, as usual, is their loyal, dedicated fan base. But that is starting to dwindle. It, it is not what it used to be. Well, the uh, the other thing that could save them is their first-party games. I mean, if they put out, you know, all their major franchises, like some amazing new versions of these games, not like HD remasters like they've been doing for the past five years or whatever, maybe they could get some interest back but i don't know it doesn't seem like that's a priority for them well if you look at the launch titles you've got breath of the wild which is should have been and is basically a relaunch of a wii u game splatoon looks like it's just an updated version of the wii game or wii u game pardon me and mario kart is probably mario kart 8 with some extra content like it's and they're they're gonna get some sales from that because the Wii U sold so poorly that people haven't played these games, but it, it uh, I am not impressed at all. I, I think it's, uh, they, again, like you said, Sean, they had a chance to dazzle me and like, I was so excited and like, never get your hopes up. They're always going to disappoint. <laughs> well, they did also, uh, tease a new Mario game with that one little straight shot running down the hallway scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, they didn't really show much. Just it's kind of like a sandy, kind of Mexico-ish looking vista. Uh, so there wasn't, wasn't too much of that scene. Yeah. But I guess that could entice some people to be excited. But even for me, that is not enough at this point. Like, I really loved Super Mario 3D Land on the Wii U. But the, it's not the same as when the the Nintendo 64 came out and it was a huge leap. And yeah. they have not like crossed a gap like that in such a long time. Even for me, at least on the Wii U, it was an HD version of Mario, with I, which I think had very colorful uh, personality and animations and looked great in HD. Same with Mario Kart 8. Now that is... I've seen that already too, so their only opportunity is for the gameplay to be like exceptional. And I I know what Mario gameplay is at this point. It's always good, but I think I've seen even with their review scores over time, like they are treading in the same water over and over again. And I think they're, they're resting on their reputation a little too much these days. Yeah. The other thing that has me a little worried is again, the, the, bringing together the home console and the portable, like 
when the Wii U tanked, the 3DS was kind of the thing that kept them going. But if they're putting them, them together, and if this thing tanks, like, what what is going to happen? Like, they're either going to just revert to selling retro game stuff for the rest of their <laughs> lives, or I don't know. I don't know where Nintendo can go after this. Like, I feel like they're putting all their eggs in one basket here, and so far it's not compelling enough to make that gamble. Yeah, and I think they're starting to anger people like like me anyway that have you know, bought versions on virtual console a million times and they don't transfer to the next system. Like their infrastructure for that type of stuff is not what it needs to be. So if they're going to uh, like, okay, have this portable console, something digital, like I want my purchases to transfer. I want to know that these things are going to last forever and the way that things are, I I see the console landscape going where everything is going to work and they're just going to make the console more powerful as, as time goes on. But I, I'm just, I'm sick of buying the same Nintendo game 10 times. And I'm the more, the older I get, I mean, this console is probably for kids. So I'm being a little ludicrous in saying that, but I'm less likely to revisit those games. I have enough games that I don't have time to play that I'm more excited for. Yeah. And I know one of the things people said that, you know, why the Wii U uh, failed is because it was confusing to people that it had Wii in the name. People thought it was an add-on for the Wii. People didn't think it was like a new console, and so they kind of stayed away. So, I mean, maybe there is that, you know, the fact that this is a brand, has a new name, and it's a brand new console, and all the parents will just flock to it and say, you know, new Nintendo console. Yeah, I'm getting this for my kids, and I'm potentially in that boat. I don't know, but I just they need to have the games there in order for me to to jump on board and like you know there's all these other consoles that have great games and they they have family friendly games as well as the you know hardcore games so it's tough they really have to do something that sets themselves apart at this point and it doesn't seem like they've done that but you know the example i always go back to is the the original DS, which when that was announced, it seemed like a joke, like two screens, like that was the big thing, that that was their big technological leap. But it ended up that the touch screen was actually the thing that was brilliant and kind of new, and it totally, you know, there were so many new kinds of games coming out as a result of that. And uh, so maybe there's something that we don't know about yet that will have that same effect, but kind of just feels like they're putting out a console that can handle a bunch of different things so that they can react to wherever the market goes and they're not, you know, blazing their own trail, so to speak. Yeah, I kind of I kind of like almost that they're not doing that though because the Wii U they did that and it kind of, you know, hit for them in a big way and then I think with the Wii U uh sorry, did I say the Wii U first? I meant the Wii. Yeah. Then with the Wii U, I think they're trying to Maybe not blaze their own trail, but you know, bring the touch screen and try to kind of merge. I think the the Wii U is actually their first attempt to try to merge the DS and the Wii kind of like home console thing, and I think it failed because they wanted to make the Wii U thing portable, but it was just so clunky and didn't have a far range and all that stuff. Yeah. Whereas this seems to have solved the problem, where instead of having the processing power in the base, you have it in the handset, so there's none of that connectivity issue. Um. 
so I think this is sort of like the next evolution of the Wii U in a good way. And I think their branding is, is pretty strong in the fact that you know it's new. You know the gimmick that you can snap the controllers on and off and kind of like take it wherever. I think where this could be interesting is in that controller snap switch part where if they start making peripherals. interesting peripherals, yeah, like, you know, the VR headset, just snap it in. The whatever, air guitar, just snap it in. Whatever things they come up with. I don't know. Like, that's where Nintendo's... Now Frank's, Frank's interested now that you mentioned air <laughs> guitar. <laughs> no. But that's where sort of Nintendo might be able to capitalize because, I mean, you could still make peripherals for you know, Xbox and PS4, but I feel like they're kind of, they're kind of stuck with traditional stuff. Whereas this, because you can take it and snap it onto a screen, you might be able to do some interesting stuff. Like, I don't know, real like flight sticks or something, or a steering wheel somehow connected on or anything like that, where you have your, I mean, the steering wheel is probably a stretch, but. Well, they kind of, they did that with the, the Wii, right? Like you, they had Mario Kart where you put the controller in the steering wheel and then you could steer. But yeah, maybe well, the, this, the this, Wii U, the Wii U gamepad was a steering wheel too, right? Like yeah. you could just tilt it. Like it's the same thing. Yeah, I guess I'm looking for something maybe a little more. Well, if I was thinking outside the box like that, I'd be thinking, okay, is there a game that on the sides I could attach like a remote control car or something like that, like where you could turn some physical device on your floor into a game or stuff like that where, okay, now we can really think outside the box on, we can put a screen on any toy we want and have that interactive in some way. Now you're talking amiibos that snap onto the side of this thing. <laughs> no, I'm like, think <laughs> I'm thinking like uh, something like a bomb, you know, like a, a bomb device that they send in to detect, right? Like some kind of remote control, like thing. the original like, sure. Rob, the robot. I don't know, but I think there's opportunities <laughs> for like physical. You could essentially put a screen on any toy by doing this, yeah. and have like processing power in that. And like we'll talk about that uh, stop talking or someone will die game. But there's opportunities for stuff like that with something like this. I'm not sure if that's going to happen or how big that market is, but the opportunity is there. I would also just like to say, like. Everything I'm saying, I hope I'm dead wrong. Like, I want Nintendo to be great again. Make Nintendo great again. <laughs> Should be yeah. Donald slogan. Trump's platform. If his, <laughs> if, he is, if his hat set was a Mario hat and it said, make Nintendo, how is this not a thing? Edit this out. I'm going to start selling Mario hats that say that. This is the greatest idea ever. Yeah, I agree. That's Ever- good. <laughs> this has to exist. This is too good of an idea. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree, and maybe it sounds like we're being overly negative. Um, I just I, I want to be wrong. I'm just trying to be realistic. But I, I do think it's worth noting a lot of people I've talked to, granted, a good chunk of them are Nintendo fanboys. A lot of people seem excited about this thing. They seem to think, like, just looking at the video, they're like, oh, that's kind of neat. But they haven't really thought through, like, what will I use this for? Will this be you know a su- supplementary device to my other consoles what can it do that my other consoles can't do now did those people buy we use not as far as i know so a lot of people didn't so that's for me i haven't i mean i bought a wii that was the last nintendo console i bought and so i missed out on 
the Wii U games, which are not many, but some of them, you know, I might want to play someday. So if I can see them being backwards compatible, if they announce that, that could be another thing in their favor because I think the sales for the Wii U are so low that it might be another little kick to them if they can do that. That's Um, true. But I don't know. We'll see. Nintendo's not really one to just give away that kind of stuff without a little taking a little piece of the pie, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But they're definitely somewhat commoditizing the value of those uh, old retro games by having the NES Mini where they've evaluated a game at $2 a piece, essentially. So that could be their last big money-making effort before they they have a service for this stuff or by being a member of Nintendo Online, you get access to all those games anytime you want on your Switch. Well, by having that, they're just taking advantage of the nostalgia of people who love the look of that NES box. It reminds them of their childhood, and those people all don't know that emulators exist and that you could have all those games for free. Well, free, quote-unquote, pirating. But, I mean, you could pay them 100 bucks or 60 bucks or whatever that thing's going to cost... Or you could just go to your local emulation website and yeah. find emulation that stuff. is is not a great user experience though. Like you need to know how these things work. You need to download it. You have to play them on a computer. Uh, sure, you can get attachments to play them on a like an old NES controller. People like an average consumer is not interested in that. Like let they me, want. Let me tell you though, the NES controller is not a good user experience either. Is that what they're shipping with it? I would think so. I think it's a great controller. You think the you don't you didn't get blisters from hell when you played the Nintendo, like the original Nintendo as a no. kid. No, I, I think. But it's... It, it just just like you're saying that nostalgic feeling of looking at that old console, they want to hold that old controller as well. The the controller that comes with it is a replica NES controller, and I believe they said it could be used for other. Like, I think, I want to say maybe it's a USB controller, which seems weird for Nintendo, but I'm pretty sure I read that you could use it in other places, too. So, I don't know. The yeah, bad I thing mean, I that I've heard is that controller, mm-hmm. like, or sorry, not the controller, the system, to do save states, you have to physically press something on the system. There's no interface. Oh, really? Yeah. There's no, like, like OS menu type thing? I I'm sure there's a there has to be like browse games or something like that. I'm not even sure. Maybe you have to reset to get to the game menu. But to like save a state, I think you have to do it like physically on the console. Oh boy. Uh I hope I hope and pray to God that I am wrong, but I think that's <laughs> the, the mini NES classic controller works with your Wii U virtual console. Hmm. I don't know if that's useful for many people, but Kind of cool. So one last thing I want to mention on the topic of Nintendo, which we kind of, you mentioned Frank, and we didn't get too much into it, but they did announce that, you know, obviously Pokemon goes out, and I think that that came out after our last show. So we haven't really talked about that whole craze, but they are making mobile games. We did talk about Mitomo last time, I believe. Yeah, so I don't they, think they had done the Mario Runner announcement. No, the yet. Mario Runner thing was a pretty big announcement. And this is... The other thing that kind of confuses me is they, for the longest time, said they're not going to do mobile games. Now they've announced they are. They've got a Mario game that will probably launch before the end of the year. But, like, again, isn't this, like, cannibalizing? Like, if the Switch is supposed to be, like, kind of a portable console and that's the experience that they're trying to sell you, 
but now they're going to have Nintendo games on your phone. Like, what? Why, like, if people are thinking, why should I pick this thing up? Like, I don't know. It feels like that's a little bit of a problem for, for them. No? You don't uh, think so? A little bit, I think. But I, I don't know. Like, mobile Endless Runner is a lot different than, like, a Zelda experience. Yeah, and if maybe that's the differentiation is they're going to keep doing the smaller casual games yeah. that they will be on phones. I think they're just trying to... I think they probably realize that the mobile market is so massive and no one bought the Wii U. Therefore, of that massive market, some people will probably be attracted to a Mario title. Let's just dip into that bucket a little bit, even if it's with a smaller thing. Just like Pokemon Go got so many people. That was probably their eye-opener saying, hey, there's actually people on mobile platforms that don't pick up a Wii U, that won't pick up the Switch, that we could get money from. And so... I think it's just a smart business move, really. Like, they might have tried to stick to their guns to say, no, we're only going to put on Nintendo platforms. But I think once they kind of leaned with Pokemon Go and and saw the result, I think that was kind of the floodgates to all the shareholders saying no. Yeah, their their stock went way up. And I think there's no way you can ignore that. Yeah, especially when you have other strong properties that you could put on mobile and have a similar... You know, even if you got a small fraction of the mobile market, that's a lot of money. Yeah. But I, I do think it just it seems weird to me. Like if if the big thing about the Switch is that it's portable, if that's sort of the the main selling point, you're competing with phones, which is still a huge like the Vita. Apparently, you know, people kept saying that nobody wants to carry their Vita with them. They have a phone that they can play games on. So, yeah, it's still a problem, I think. But um that being said, I am curious to see what Nintendo does with iPhone games, and uh, you know, I, I'll check out the Mario Runner for sure. Yep. I have one more thing about the Switch too, which I found interesting. Um, the whole like last, maybe a third or a quarter of the teaser was dedicated to Splatoon and this like esports arena thing, mm-hmm. which I found interesting because. Nintendo is not really known for their online support of games. They don't have an Xbox Live. They don't have a PSN. Uh, and if they're making a push into eSports, which obviously they are because this was a big part of their teaser, or it was just bullshit, um, it seems like they must be doubling down on some sort of back end that can support these games unless they just want, unless like they're just doing all local matches that somehow get broadcast to some big TV or something that you can stream. Yeah, I've seen some articles and arguments about this and a lot of people saying like Splatoon is the worst possible game to make into an esports game. I, I haven't played Splatoon, so I don't know specifically what the reasons are for that. But I think a lot of people are saying, yeah, it's probably just for the trailer. It doesn't seem like something they would actually go through with. Um, but maybe? I yeah, think. I don't know. It just seems like the, such a big portion of that trailer was dedicated to this thing. Yeah. Maybe they just knew streaming is a thing, esports is becoming a thing, and they just wanted to appeal to that market without really any meat behind it. Yeah, that's definitely possible. But it seemed suspect that they would spend so much time. Like, I know they love Splatoon, obviously, because there's all these DLCs and everything and Splatoon tournaments, but it, it seemed odd. It seemed odd that they put that much time into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they gave you know they gave that game more time than Mario. They probably gave that game more time than Zelda on screen. 
Yeah, and maybe it's just because it's a simple game and it's farther along than some of these other ones, but yeah, I don't know. Or that it's it's new to a lot of people who would tune into this announcement. Yeah. So they miss Splatoon on Wii U, so they're like, visually it's interesting, could generate attention, seem like a new game to a lot of people, even though it isn't. And then I I view the esports thing as purely a check mark, a buzzword, something people are talking about. We don't even have to show that we support it. We just need to see people in tracksuits playing this <laughs> with with pro with controllers, <laughs> with their teams on their back, their team names. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anything else? About just the Nintendo Switch. You know, again, sounds super negative, which I guess it is, but I will buy it. I'm excited for it, and. Breath of the Wild does look amazing. Uh, I'm a little worried that, like, at some of the mundanity of some of the tasks that I've seen so far, but I love the interface. The fonts and the color of the fonts are absolutely gorgeous. Presentation (laughs) is is better than any game I've seen in the last three years, and I'm on board. And I just need that Metroid. I just got to see it. The Metroid needs to happen. I mean, that's the thing that would get me to buy it day one. Breath of the Wild, I am excited about, but I just know the last two Zelda games. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about open world Zelda, and I don't want to get too deep into that, but it just, like, it looks nice, but I see myself playing it for a couple hours and shutting it off. Almost every Zelda has been, like, a small open world, though. Yeah, if it's, if it's, manageable it's fine and i think something like you know ocarina of time or in that zone is is fine i mean there's that's i guess by today's standards is a pretty small open world but um i don't mind wandering around and being able to do different things but when the world is huge and it feels like there's nothing pushing you through the the main quest line i just tune out but maybe that's just me does anyone remember the last original IP Nintendo put out besides Splatoon. Hmm. Like, it seems like they need to do something new. They need something that will grab people and is different. Yeah, I'm trying to think what first-party games were put out for the Wii U that weren't just a rehash of an existing franchise. Well, these aren't, like... Great examples because they're made by Platinum Games, but Wonderful 101. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Do they own Bayonetta now? I'm not sure. Yeah, but I wouldn't uh, count that because that was a non-Nintendo game first. I mean, like I something, something... I mean, Captain Toad's Treasure Tracker, but I mean, it's kind of part well, of Mario. Yeah, that's part of Mario. Like, I mean, was the last one Pikmin? Yeah, but I mean, that's it's on Pikmin 3, right? So... I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, where is no? The, there, there was stuff, stuff after Nintendo, after Pikmin. Like, I think Pikmin was GameCube, right? So they had like shitty games like Geist, and yeah, that was their first person thing. And uh, it, it gets com- it gets confusing too because there are developers that are considered Nintendo first party developers, that like have, Metroid Prime, like Retro, would have been right. I don't know if they are anymore. There's but. like in intelligent systems i think is that one of them i think don't they do like advanced wars and all those games Mm, yeah maybe like there's definitely stuff that's in from those developers but it's like even next level with yeah punch out the new punch out and the luigi's haunted mansion or whatever it's called yeah 
but yeah, almost everything has some tie to Mario. Like it's yeah. I've got. I found a thread asking the same question as you, Huck. And oh yeah. Like some of the no, the most significant ones are listed as WarioWare. Okay, uh, yeah. Which is kind of also Eternal, Eternal Darkness, which was twelve years twelve years ago, I guess. Uh, Mario and Luigi RPG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Golden that's, Sun. Oh, Advance Wars. Maybe the like. So the, that's the all GBA series. and Super Nintendo. These are all. 10 years ago and yeah. that got steel diver let's not sleep on steel diver. <laughs> uh, that might be the only one or what that's... was that what was that um uh the black and white game not black and white but it was mad world or something mad something oh but well, that was that sega a, yeah oh it was sega oh uh i was gonna say what about nintendogs man like nintendogs forget sure. nintendogs like was pokemon maybe the last one well but i mean like Pokemon was original Game Boy, Boy, right? Oh yeah, I guess so. That I guess yeah, Advance Wars and stuff would have come out before that or after that. Yeah, but I mean, come on, Nintendo, it's time with the Switch to get something new going. Yeah, I agree. That's what they got to do. Like, there seems they, to be coasted for too long. There seems long. to be no investment in new IP with them at all. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I, you can't discount s- stuff like Captain Toad and things like that. Like, these are games that are, you know, new gameplay ideas, but it's still But you're not bringing not... people in because of its new IP. You're bringing people in because they recognize the character of Toad from Mario. Yeah. So it seems like they just need something. Like, get some concept art. Just throw up random stuff until you find something interesting and then make a game around that. I don't know. Like, anything. Start throwing money at the wall. You got all that Pokemon money. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, they don't have all the Pokemon money. Okay, well, they got all the Wii money still. <laughs> they are sitting on a ton of cash. And <laughs> I'm looking at uh, 40 Amiibos that I bought. That are, <laughs> they probably made like 90% profit on these things. So if not more. They're, they're doing fine. Yeah. All right, so should we uh, get on to some VR talk? Let's do it. All right, well, I guess this is sort of the main review of the episode, although Frank's the only one uh, who currently owns it. Well, Jay owns it, but couldn't make the show tonight, unfortunately. Um, But we did get to play a bit of it, and uh, we can talk about a bunch of the individual games. But, Frank, why don't you just give us your initial impressions of playstation vr so leading up to let's we got to get the whole story here sean yeah leading up to the day i wasn't sold yet until the reviews were up and i'm still like i don't know about this thing it seems like everyone's saying the screen is low res I don't know. I was looking for a reason to talk myself into buying this thing. Yeah, you were really like on launch day. You were still like, I don't know if I'm going to pick this thing up, which you that's not like you at all, Frank. Mm-hmm. I know. And I had, if I needed the bundle, the $700 one, Yep. I, I don't think I would have. I, I think the barrier of entry would have been too big for me. But I had a lot of the move stuff. I had a camera. There was a promotion for trade. I traded in like 360 games and PS3 games and got a hundred bucks off. So I was like, I can justify that. Uh, and I picked up an extra move controller for, th- for $13 at EB, which is like a deal considering beautiful worth 75 each right now, essentially, which is insane. Um, 
so I was, I, I got home super, I wasn't that excited because I did definitely took a nap that day when I got home. <laughs> <laughs> so I woke up and I'm like, okay, let's get into this disaster of a, of a setup, which I'd heard about. Wasn't too bad, actually. I was like being very careful, very proper, didn't want to break this thing. And then finally put in the demo disc, finally strapped in, put this thing on my head. And uh, it was a it was a truly revolutionary experience. I had not experimented with any Oculus dev kits or other demos of VR. This is a brand new experience. I haven't even used a, like a Samsung gear or anything like that. So it was tr- truly my first time going under the visor. And it was really amazing. I think I... What was the first thing I did? It was uh, the ocean, the demo for the ocean, which has no shark, but was still pretty cool. I did the London heist. I played, I don't know, about 10 or so demos, including Thumper, uh, Wayward Sky, a few other things. And I was blown away. Oh, VR Worlds as well. I, I was, I couldn't believe how different the experience was and how immersive it was. It was amazing. And I played that whole night just trying stuff, trying new things. I barely got through everything, and I still have barely scratched the surface with the content that's out there. And I have to say, I don't think it's going to replace regular gaming, but there is definitely like an urge for me to go back to it when I have time and there's so many experiences out there that I have yet to try. And I would say my first day I was getting motion sickness a bit. I would take breaks in between, which I'd heard about. And it does take a a bit of time to get used to. But that night, the last thing I did before I went to bed was try the Batman uh, VR experience. And that was the first one where I was standing up using motion controllers and it just took it to another level for me. I know people s- seem to be mixed on that game, but that was to me what I I wanted, like being taken to another place and like just seeing 3D models rendered in front of you at your size, like you're face to face with something. It's it's tough to explain until you do it, even watching it on a screen. It it, it doesn't match the experience. So and even the sound, like obviously the sound and Batman takes advantage of rotating and facing other ways. By the end of that demo, I was, I wasn't sure where I was facing in my own house. It was truly immersive. And, uh, I'm, I know the games aren't long and they're, they're small experiences, but I think that's almost appropriate. Like, I think that's where I want to enter into this technology and it was more than enough for me. So, I'm really excited with where this stuff can go. And even the most simple platformer or like, uh, what would you say? Charming little puzzle game like wayward sky gets amped up and taken to a higher level based on being in a VR setting. So for you, Frank, would you say the Batman Arkham VR was the killer app? Uh, it, it was that day. I, I don't know if I'd revisit it, but I mean, for for $26, I mean, I don't want to put a value on it, but it was definitely worth that to me. Okay. And if I was uh, with someone who liked Batman, that was the game I would make them try. 
right. after maybe a little bit of a primer. Okay. Uh, so Huck City, you and I got to play a bit of it, and you probably yep. played a little more than me, I'm assuming. But um, what was your – and you had tried it previously. Yeah, too, so right? I had played the dev kit, I think, in 2014 at a PlayStation dev event. And I must say, from what I remember, it was pretty similar, except I think the optical was a little improved. And the form factor was definitely better on this one. Uh, but all of the motion control stuff seemed the same as far as how responsive it was and everything. And my other VR experience has just been with like Google Cardboard Mm-hmm. And playing around with that a bit, and so I haven't. I don't have. I haven't never tried an Oculus. Never tried uh, Vive, or uh, I guess that's it. Uh, so mine has been basically just PSVR, and I must say I had the same feeling. Super immersive. I played. What was the first one I played, Frank? That like one where you're walking on ledges and collecting coins. Oh, just uh, VR Worlds. Oh, VR Worlds. Okay, so I played the VR Worlds for maybe 15 minutes or so, maybe less, and then I played the Batman for probably half an hour. And, yeah, super immersive. What I was questioning was the whole moving around in VR, and I've heard, you know, you don't want to do spinning, you don't want to do that kind of stuff. Um, and the the vr worlds you're actually walking around right i don't know i was kind of juiced at this time <laughs> yeah <laughs> and Definitely alcohol in. and vr do not mix yeah they, Just, i uh, can tell you a story oh, they, about that later <laughs> <laughs> they, they mix for me and i i would say <laughs> what what when you said you played batman for half an hour yeah like half of that could have been that you were juiced but i think you were in there for an hour oh really not more yeah okay because i know when we went to when i went to bed it was like 3 30 in the morning i was like holy shit yeah I didn't yeah. think I was in there for that long. I don't know what time we started. I don't know what time everyone left, and then I got in there. But you were jacked around, in for twenty-four two, hours straight. Around it, two. I've, okay. That does seem to be a sentiment people have. I know Roman when he played it. We went and grabbed pizza while he was uh, jacked in, and <laughs> we came back and he was like, "I thought you guys just left." Like he was, yeah, feeling in it. it. Yeah, you're in it. You get in it. And uh, so the one thing I was impressed with was. I did not experience any motion sickness while I was using it, uh, even though the VR Worlds has – it has rotation, right? I, I'm having trouble remembering the exact – like the Batman just took over, so I'm having trouble remembering exactly. VR Worlds is kind of an on-rails camera yeah. progression-wise, like through the Z space of the game where it's following the robot in front of you that you're controlling. Yeah. But – the the camera itself, the rotation of that camera that's going along, you control with your is, head is your head, right? So, yeah, but you're okay. like going through the caves with the camera, right? So there's a foliage that's brushing in front of you. The shadows, lighting is changing. That's the biggest thing, like how lighting changes when you pass through environments and stuff like that. It's a game changer. It's yeah. a game changer. So that one, I didn't get sick at all with, even though I thought I heard that if you're moving and rotating at the same time, it could be disastrous. Though I yeah, never they're, they're, experienced that. Sorry, in that game, the camera movements are very slow. So yes, they are. If, if you if you want to go back to, let's say you missed a coin, yep. and you want to go back to that, you have to wait a while for the camera to catch up to the character. Oh, okay. And even that game, I think my first time, that was the first thing I played, if I remember correctly. It was, uh, 
I got a little queasy. Now that could be first time things or just, uh, you know, getting used to VR essentially. But even that, like I could, a Mario game where, or like any platformer where you're immersed in the world while you're playing it, it, it would be amazing. It makes it that much better. Yeah. And then in the Batman game, there is no motion, just rotation of your head. And I heard that the whole uh, point and press a button to move to a new location was sort of, it's starting to be almost like one of the de facto movement techniques in VR to avoid motion sickness. And I had never experienced it actually implemented before. And what impressed me was that the fade out and fade in is actually really quick, a lot quicker than I thought they would need to do. I thought it would have to be a lot slower to make sure you don't get sick. But it was actually, I don't know, maybe like a quarter second down and then a quarter second up, and you're right in the new spot. So it's really not that much time from what I remember. Is that about right, Frank? Am I remembering that correctly? I think so, yeah. It's it's not an instantaneous jump, but it's pretty close to that when you, when you teleport. Yeah, yeah I but mean, it felt faster than I thought it would be basically. And I think the killer apps for VR going forward are, you know, going to find a way to take advantage or create a context for those things that make sense. And if you're a teleporting character, essentially, or your nightcrawler, something like that, yep. and you create a context and a story that makes sense. You know what we need? Jumper, the video game. Oh. We all remember jumper, the oh, classic man. Doug Lyman property. We need that in video game form. They're making a, a new TV video series game. about it. I think. <laughs> perfect. We're good to go. <laughs> so that thing will be huge. Now we have the perfect context for this type of movement. And uh, you're pretty much looking at a blockbuster hit right there. <laughs> so back to the Batman. The thing that really impressed me, obviously, I mean, you're standing on ledges, looking down tall buildings. You're feeling the vertigo, you know, right there in your room, which you can't really experience any other way than in VR. Um, also the one thing that really got me is there's a 3d puzzle where you're taking pieces of a pipe or something and you're trying to reconnect them to form a name or something like that. But anyways, the whole thing that gets it is it's, it's really no more complex than a traditional object investigation window in any game like resident evil spin this uh, object around and look at it. But the fact that you can, it's suspended in space and you actually reach out and grab the pieces you want and rotate them however you want and fit them together however you want with, you know, your hands, quote unquote, is really powerful. Being able to just like turn your head around and look around the object to try to figure out the 3D puzzle in 3D space while you are actually in that space is really a, like a powerful experience of, of games, which you can't experience any other way. And, being able to, it really makes you feel like you're in that room as you're, you're looking at something. I think what also gets it is you're looking at, you're focusing on something in the distance and as you're panning around, right, the, the background is also shifting. So you really feel like you're in that room when you're so engrossed in something close to your face. And yeah, it's just, just like Frank says, it's just so immersive. It's hard to explain. Um, but it definitely is real. Like VR is real, the real deal. And once yeah. the, you know, this is Gen 1 of a technology that's already really powerful. And even if games never progress, like I, I still have some reserves that games will be the de facto thing for VR. 
but there's so many other applications for VR that will just take over the many, market. Many, like, many, many applications. Yeah. So if you want to get into VR, <laughs> you just go to any VC and say, hey, I got a VR idea, and they will just throw money at you right now because everyone wants to try to get a piece of this pie because it's big, and it's just a matter of getting getting eyeballs on it and getting people, you know, getting the tech a little smaller, getting the devices a little easier to use, and it's just going to explode. Everyone's going to be in the Matrix or yeah. one of those other movies that has this kind of shit in it. Yeah, well, like, I guess, you know, the general impression I hear from almost anyone who tried it is I thought it was going to be terrible, but it was way better than I thought it was going to be. And I guess, you know, I think people have this idea in their head that it's it's going to be like the Wii or the Kinect, and they are not fully taking into account the experience of being, like, immersed in a world where, like, you, you're wearing a headset, you have headphones in, like, you are in that world. And, like, I, I mean, I was... I was sold before, like, you know, this this stuff even started coming out for consumers. I was so excited about it. And, you know, I think it delivers. I think the only question is kind of what you were saying, Huck City. Like, are games the real application for this? Because I think, like, a lot of the experiences that we tried at Frank's, a lot of it is kind of on-rails type stuff. And certainly a lot of action stuff seems like, difficult to do right now because of the the, the vertigo and the the motion yeah, action uh, will be the hardest thing to pull off yeah and so like i think everybody's like oh i want to play my call of duty games vr is not going to be good for that so vr is like just a gimmick but it's like it's a whole new medium like it's going to be this is the true merging of like movies and games and interactive this, entertainment. This is the comeback of the point and click adventure. Right yeah, here. well, for <laughs> sure. Like I, I, I see like walking simulators, you know, games like that where it's like there's a narrative. Suddenly, you are actually going to be able to manipulate the environment around you. It's not just going to be sitting there pushing forward on a controller while a story unfolds. You're you, going to feel like you're in that story. You guys want to. Work at Equilibrium Systems on a VR Sherlock Holmes slash crime detective VR game? That would be. (laughs) I'm in. Let's do it. Because that's all Batman is, really. It's just a crime. It's just a crime game. I mean, like an investigation game. Yeah. No, I didn't get to try Batman. Partially, I mean, I could have, I guess. But, like, everybody else had played it, and I watched a few other people play it. Which I should mention also, you know, in terms of... Frank had a bunch of people over, and I was thinking, this is going to be so boring for everybody except the person playing it. But it is kind of interesting. Like you, On the TV screen, you see what they see as they're in the game. And it is kind of interesting just to be able to see their point of view. I mean, it's not the equivalent by any stretch, but it's just it's still kind of a cool experience just watching. And it's interesting standing there in a room full of people, knowing that people are around you, but not really even being aware of it because you're so into this experience. Um, but yeah, like I just immediately saw so much potential, like even just trying that London heist game, which is, uh, you know, I-, I guess kind of the most actiony thing I tried where you're kind of sitting in a car and there's a guy beside you who's doing all the driving and you're just kind of pointing out the window and shooting but then there was other little pieces. There was a little puzzle segment and things like that where it, it seemed like, I don't know, the motion control stuff. Uh, I'd never tried the PlayStation Move before, um, but it seemed like better than I expected as well. 
like the, just holding the two things in your hand and using the trigger to be able to pick up objects and throw them and mm-hmm. it really worked like it, it there was no getting used to it it just immediately what you would expect to happen happened and you know there might be a couple little finicky like if there's a bunch of objects and you're trying to pick one specific one maybe there's a little bit of an issue there but i don't know it it worked so yeah my only question is action games being able to maybe like actually move through the space like i know some of the games like the london heist one you can actually like duck and kind of move forward and you can kind of move within a certain space but like, well, the thing that sold me in that game is when you're aiming like through a hole in a desk, like yeah. literally using minutia of cover within a scenario. Like that's a, that's an amazing idea, and I've never done that in a game before. And then, like, I agree with you on the move, the move stuff. So I had heard all the stuff I was listening to leading up to it. Everyone was saying the move stuff is not good. It's not good tracking. Uh, it's very flawed and has a lot of problems. I did not have that at all. Now, I was turning the lights off in my house most of the time. Obviously, I understand if I turn my back to the camera and I'm blocking the two move things, they won't work. But I thought it it worked way better than I expected after all the negative things I had heard. And like I just think that it, it is an entry level thing, but it doesn't it really doesn't feel like that to me at all. I know that's what people say, well, it's the cheapest way to get into it. It doesn't feel cheap to me. It's very comfortable. I, I didn't, like, I haven't tried the other headsets, but from everything I hear, it is the most comfortable and easiest to use, and I think that is true for sure. Yeah, now that being said, it is, if this is the cheapest, it's still pretty expensive right oh, now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which seems to be a problem for people, and I know, didn't Microsoft just announce that they're getting into VR and they have VR headsets planned for Windows 7 that are going to be in the $300 range or something like that. Like Windows 7? Windows 10? Or Windows 10, yeah. This guy's, this guy's a nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think people are kind of saying it might actually end up being Microsoft who uh, truly makes VR mainstream. We'll see, I guess. But, uh, I mean, I, I certainly want to get a PlayStation VR. Does that mean HoloLens is dead? I don't know. That's a good question. Mm. I don't know what's going on with that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, again, would say I don't think it's a gimmick. Maybe I'm just more willing to, to make the leap. Uh, but, like, it just, uh, I feel like there's just been so many years of science fiction that have been pushing us towards this. It's just going to be a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, there's no way we're not going to end up sitting on our couches wearing headsets for the rest of our lives contact well, it feels fun <laughs> oh yeah eventually nice. that's true it it feels to me what i would relate it to in a good way is going to an amusement park there's lots of stuff you can only do there it's it's not like any other thing on earth there's these rides these uh like 3d simulators games like things you can only do at that location and that's what VR feels to me. It's like an exclusive thing where you the only way to do this is to be inside of it and to feel what it's like. I don't know if I don't think it's gonna replace gaming, conventional gaming by any means, but I I think it definitely will have staying power. And I I wonder what kit like I find like I talked to my friends and asked them if their kids had asked about it or know about it and 
I know it's not supposed to be good for young kids, like to look at 3D images and things like that. But I, I think when kids try this thing, they're going to be blown away. Well, Kieran has like used the Google Cardboard thing before and mm-hmm. watched some short films and stuff, and he was pretty into it. So yeah, I think uh, I have no doubt they're they're going to grow up with this stuff around them, and it's just going to be second nature for them as well. But um, but yeah, I, I I just you know it's clearly a couple years away from being a mainstream thing, but it's definitely not. Like there was VR in the '90s that was terrible, and I seem to remember maybe there was something at like the Science Center or something. Do you guys remember this? I feel I like don't, there was but I'm like sure a was there. like a helmet or something that you put on. I could be completely making this up, but I, I, there has been VR in the past, and it's been terrible, and it's been kind of a joke. And but this is not that. And I think as far as motion sickness, there was only. One time I started to feel it a little bit. I was playing that tank game. Mm-hmm. Remember Battle Zone? Yeah, Reed was was having a bit of motion sickness, and so I took over in that game, and uh, and I was fine right up until the end. And I don't know what it was, but um, yeah, it was. It's a little bit weird, I guess, in certain games where you're moving, but then like your head is shifting where you're looking. But why do you want to look anywhere other than right in front of you? For the most part, like it's, I don't know, I guess it's just a different experience, something you have to get used to. But um, that might be the game you were playing when I posted that video on our Facebook page. Really? I, I think so. I can't remember what, what game you were I playing. I thought that was the London Heist because it looked like I was just I shooting know. at stuff above <laughs> me or something. But I thought you were picking stuff off shelves. I wasn't looking <laughs> at the TV. I was just trying to keep you in the frame. Right. Well, uh, so let, let's go through some of the other games that, we played and that you have Frank. Um, so we kind of talked about Batman. Uh, what were some of the other highlights, uh, Frank? Uh, I know a game that's getting a lot of great reviews, which I personally loved was Thumper, which is a rhythm game. I think it's described as rhythm hell or something like that. Rhythm torture horror. <laughs> and it's like this like doom inducing uh, beat-driven track where you have a metallic bug on a like essentially a bobsled slide <laughs> and into the into hell essentially or like these weird uh, trippy images and it's just a kind of a weird rhythm game and I love that game it's I like rhythm games and it's just trippy unique visuals and I don't know, it's more of a, a sound experience than some of the other VR games, and it's like such a simple game, and that's a testament to putting that experience in VR. It, it just makes it that much better. And I know Roman loved that game. I, I need to play more. I think I've only gotten to World 2, but it's it's very well-paced in terms of learning new ideas, uh, and yeah, that's probably... like game game like a full game my favorite game for vr so far uh well i tried that one a bit and i enjoyed it i don't know like for me it was more like the visuals were cool but i guess for me that wouldn't be like a killer app per se you know it's not something where i play it and i'm like this can only be in vr but it is cool and obviously it's it's like 
any other rhythm game you've played for the most part it's just the visuals are when when you played that game everyone in the room was getting motion sickness (laughs) yeah bobbing and and ducking and weaving i didn't realize (laughs) i was bobbing my head to the beat and i did not realize that the (laughs) the screen everybody else was watching was also bobbing to the beat (laughs) so uh i apologize for that oh Uh, don't dude do not be sorry you're in there. Well, exactly. I mean, like I, I, I could not help myself. You got to get into the groove, man. Like that's the only way. You got to feel it. Exactly. Please do not apologize for that. But I will say this: I played the regular version of the game, and I was starting it. And I'm like, this is lame, and you have to switch it to VR mode, and the jump was that big. Like yeah. when talking about the oh yeah, I was like oh yeah, this isn't as good as I remember. And I'm like oh, it's not in VR mode. And then I switched it over, even on the menu screen. Whoa! <laughs> in what way? Just like the immersiveness? Well, yeah, you're essential. I, I it's still a big screen right in front of you when it's projecting like just the 2D image. Mm-hmm. I'm like oh, I, I got to switch to three to VR mode, and then the menu converts to this immersive environment. Even the menus in VR Worlds and the demo disc, like, menus are fun all of a sudden. It's it's kind of crazy that you can have the simplest experience of, you know, putting your controller in a ball or hitting a ball in a menu, which is so stupid, and it, everyone loves it. It's so much fun. Or bullets raining on you now becomes amazing. It's so stupid. It's pretty stupid. Yet so fucking good. That's the power of of VR. Yeah. So uh, I, we can talk about uh, that bomb game, which I believe is called Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Something like that. I haven't played it yet. You haven't played it? Oh, well, nope. Everybody else was playing it. So this, I mean, I think this is available in, non, in a non-VR form as well, but it kind of lends itself well to VR because the idea is one person has the headset on and they are diffusing a bomb. And so they're manipulating switches and touching things and moving it around to look at it. And uh, people, other people in the room are going through this manual. <laughs> it sounds lame, but we got into it pretty, pretty quickly. Like they're, they're flipping through pages on how to diffuse the bomb. So it's based on, you know, is the bomb red? Is there a number three in the serial number? And like all these things. And then you jump to this chapter and it tells you what to do next and which wires to cut. And it's a race against time. And, and it's, you know, it's a communication game because you have to tell them what you see. And some of the stuff are just weird symbols and you have to figure out how to describe it. And then everybody's yelling at each other. This kind of sounds like a take on, is it Star Command or Star yeah. Patrol or something like that? Yeah. Like that iOS game? Right, yeah. It seems similar thing where you're potentially inspired trying by to that. run a Starship type thing. But, you know, again, not necessarily a killer app, but it's like just a simple little thing that was a lot of fun. And, I, I you know, the possibilities for things like this seem kind of limitless. Uh, what, what about you? What else did you play, Hawk City? That was it, actually. Just those two things. And then, like, from my time before uh, at the dev event, I played this, like, night game where you are just picking up weapons and, like, swinging them at things. It was pretty basic. I mean, that was, like, two years ago, almost three years ago. So, Is that actually in one of the... I don't think so. I asked Frank, and he said he didn't say anything like that. So, hmm. the no, only thing... I need... 
I need a sword and shield game. Like it was made for this type of thing. Yeah, the only thing that was neat. So, uh, if I recall correctly, you had a sword that you kind of just swung and hit like a dummy, right. and then you could pick up a crossbow and shoot that at long range targets. And then there was like a a mace you could swing around. And the one thing that immediately caught me, which I think I've talked about on previous game chunks, is that when I was swinging the mace, my brain got tricked into thinking like the weight on the end was I was my arm was actually going to feel it. So I didn't see anything like that in the games we've been talking about. But it'll be interesting to see if that sort of thing comes up where your brain really starts getting tricked by just like simple things like that. Right. So I guess there's a bunch of horror games out there. It seems to be one of the big things everybody's uh, dying to play or use to scare their friends. Um, I know Until Dawn, Rush of Blood, a bunch of people played it. I didn't try this one, but is that did you like that one, Frank? I did. I really like when someone plays the level before me. It gives me a bit of a jump scare primer. <laughs> the first night I, I tried to play the demo, and I'm like, can't do it. I, I cannot do this. And I'm starting to, I did, once I'd seen other people played it, I've tried the kitchen demo. I've tried rush of blood, which were both interesting experiences for sure. Like taking the idea of a jump scare and putting it in a virtual reality world is more terrifying than I ever thought it could be. It, it makes it that much worse, but it is rush of blood was a lot of fun. I, I mean, I haven't played through the game yet, but I did buy it based on the demo. And it's a carnival ride, essentially. It's a carnival ride in your living room and a carnival ride that can do fantastic things that other carnival rides can't do in reality. So it kind of works on that level. And I, I think the biggest thing for VR, and y you'll see it in the next few months, even though Russia blood doesn't necessarily apply to this. Well, it doesn't at all, but the idea of third party or not third party, um, like IP experiences, like the star Trek game coming out or the star Wars X wing level and stuff like that, being able In to put yourself, right? yeah, put being able to put yourself into like these games or properties that you've loved your whole life is genuinely an amazing experience. And that's part of the appeal of Batman as well. But Star Wars is going to be so good. And I'm not the biggest Star Trek fan, but if they nail a, a good gameplay loop with communication and other aspects, that game could, it's the perfect setting. You don't have yeah, to is. move you. You're on a bridge. So I really hope they don't fuck this game up or it isn't like an $80 cash grab, but my hopes are high for that game as well. Do you, do you know any details on that? Is it do you need multiple VR kits for that? I know in well, all the, I know it seems like you do, but I don't know if you actually do. Well, the only way to do that is through online, right? Like oh, it is. Okay. Up, yeah, you can't hook up multiple ones to to one uh, to one console. Maybe they'll have a split screen experience where four people in a room can do stuff on the TV, and whoever has the VR is the commander or something like that. I, I'm not sure, but yeah, right. I'm hoping there's an online version as well that a team of people are communicating, but I think that could be really fun. Uh, and the, sorry to get back to the horror stuff. 
I don't know if the Friday the 13th games or other things that are horror are planning VR modes, but I think they should. Like seeing horror villains or monsters, classic stuff could be awesome as well. Like even thinking back to Universal Monsters or other games, like an, an experience of being in the original Dracula or like just investigating that stuff in a, even in a black and white setting, that would be so cool. It would be something completely different. And I mean, you can just almost everything you've done before becomes a new opportunity in VR to revisit or do a different take on. So I don't see them running out of ideas for this. It it, it is a gimmick in a way, but it's an amazing gimmick. They got to do a Jurassic Park game. Of course. Well, there is some dinosaur game coming out as well. But Jurassic Park, forget about it. it don't even need a gonna... don't even need a real game. Just go to the park. Yeah, exactly. Without uh, the terror. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I did try the kitchen demo, which I guess is a horror experience. Is that is is there more to that, or is it just literally that little short film? It it is. That is the Resident Evil demo, I believe. Oh, okay. Got to get so PT on there. Yeah, that could be cool. So Never that happened, is, I, I don't know how that's going to lend itself to Resident Evil gameplay. Like maybe yeah, uh, that remains to be seen, but that's what it's supposed to be. And it is effective. It's creepy and sound plays a huge role in that scenario. Yeah. And just having your personal space invaded is a, is a weird unsettling oh, yeah. experience for sure. Um, so I can mention, I tried the job simulator demo which uh, this is from one of the guys who did the Stanley parable. And it's, I, I, I mean, I still totally don't, don't totally understand what the point of it is. It seems like it's just kind of one of these weird little experimental things you can kind of play around with. You're sitting at a desk in a cubicle and, you know, you have things pop up on the screen that you have to do. It's kind of like a parody or satire of office jobs in the future. Um, kind of like a Brazil kind of thing or something but um basically there's just all these objects you can just pick up and throw around and manipulate and it just i don't know it was fun just doing that um i i think so like it's a fun little game i want to buy it not sure if i'll pay 40 for it but i'm sure i will at some point that's how much it is yeah see that's oh man it's like are there any games that are actually full like 70 80 dollar games right now uh, yes, there's Eve Valkyrie, which I also tried the demo for, which is very short, but interesting. It's a space combat game. Uh, what other one? Battlezone, that tank game is $80. Really? Which seems like a bit of a stretch to yeah. me. Um, <laughs> then not 80, but 60 is this game called the rigs, which is a, a mech sport game from the future, which is getting really great reviews. And I've, I don't think I've even tried that yet. No, I haven't. That's what I mean. There's like so many games that I that I want to try and I can't. And I think the reviews are really interesting when it comes to VR because I was every game from Batman to let's say Until Dawn. Some people said you know Until Dawn. There's not a lot there. It's repetitive, boring, uh, not that great. But another person in that same world, it's clicking on every cylinder for them. Like they like that world, not so much the game. 
So like reviews range from fives to tens for some of these games. And I really find that there is something out there for everyone. And I really think like there's lots of great experiences and games to play. And I, I think they're all, I haven't played anything yet that I was disappointed with. I was like, that was lame. Why did I wait? Like, I nothing is a waste of time. I really want to try. I haven't played uh, Super Hypercube, which is a puzzle game, mm-hmm. but they just released a demo for that today, so I, I'm excited to try that. Uh, I guess, like, are any of these games that are ported from Oculus or anything, or is this all like brand new stuff? I, I believe E Valkyrie is uh, was on other VR devices. Okay. Because, yeah, I mean, I guess that would be one advantage that, you know, VR has been out there a, a little bit already, so they're kind of reaping the the benefits of having, you know, a catalog of titles out there already. But I think Sony has put a lot of money into this. Absolutely. I was just going to say, I think a lot of their stuff is exclusive or only on PlayStation VR right now. So they have a competitive advantage, I'd say, with their software titles right now. So... Uh, what else have you played that you want to talk about, Frank? I know Wayward Sky was something you were talking about. Yeah, so it's basically, a, like you said, point-and-click adventures are the future again. It kind of is that, and it's interesting. Like You're guiding a, a player solving puzzles and through this weird environment from a far perspective, and then sometimes there'll be puzzles where the perspective cuts into your player and you're doing, like, things with the move controllers or what was that movement you were doing there oh i was just giving a little tug on the (laughs) mobile on the udders (laughs) yeah there is a puzzle where you do that where that's not a puzzle but you put chimes on a wind chime it's and that's what i was doing (laughs) (laughs) but i mean just playing with perspective in these scenarios is a different thing like i know there's games like echo chrome and other games that play with perspective, but this is you. You have to look or search an environment. Even the idea of a collectible. I haven't gone back and done the collectibles in Batman, but it seems like way more fun. Now I have to find something in a world rather than moving Pixel my character hunting. around yeah. to find it. Yeah, it's like no more can Pixel I? See, yeah, can I see the thing in this environment? And Wayward Sky, I think, is doing it pretty well. Where. They're in creative places, not impossible to find, recognizable, and they're designing it around what matters in terms of finding something or doing something. So I haven't beaten that, but I had a lot of fun with that game. Uh, What else? Bound, I also, I hadn't played it in non-VR, so I went right into the VR version of Bound. Interesting, the camera is different. You're you're reorienting it a lot. I don't know if that's how it works in the regular controlled version of the game, but that's like a weird abstract environment, and to be inside of it immediately made the game pretty compelling. And the only other things... There was two other things, sorry. Um, Oh, VR Worlds, I'll say a bit more about, too. Like, the heist, I liked a lot. The underwater descent is pretty decent, I'd say. That's the one with the shark? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people I, seem I, to be playing that one and enjoying it. it. It is a good primer for that stuff. But the London heist, that that was my only moment where I'm like, whoa, how do they do this? It's like a magic moment. 
where there's a cigar on a table and you like, you pick it up and eventually I tried inhaling it and exhaling it. And when I inhaled, the cigar would burn. And when I blew, blew out, the smoke would blow out. I'm like, how are they doing this? Yeah. I have no, and I'm assuming maybe it's the microphone in the PlayStation camera would be my guess, but it worked. It was like, that is a, a cool magic trick with VR. Yeah, and Dwayne was playing and he was like putting that through the, through the test, you know, like it was, yeah. he was like holding his breath, then exhaling and it was still working. I was like, what the hell? Like, it's- I know. And everyone said I was crazy, Frank. It's like, you're an, <laughs> you're an idiot. And I'm like, no, I, I tried different things and it works pretty well. So that is a cool idea in that game, as well as the idea of, like 3d sound so if someone will hand you a phone you put it up to your ear it knows what ear you put it up to like you're hearing something that a character is not hearing and it definitely creates that uh perspective that you mm-hmm. know something they don't know and i mean it's interesting those are new ideas that are a lot of fun and i would say vr worlds might be a bit much at 50 dollars uh I know it comes with the bundle, so the bundle is a pretty good deal, all in all. But I don't know if it's worth fifty. I, I so tough the, to say. So the price of the um, just the PlayStation VR itself in Canada is what five fifty. Yeah, and to get the bundle is seven hundred, but that comes with two Move controllers, which to buy separately is one hundred and fifty dollars. A camera, which to buy separately is seventy-five, I believe, and a game, which to buy separately is fifty. So, yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer if you if you don't have that stuff already. And I think that's it. I don't think there is. Unfortunately, I have not played as much as I'd like to have. There's still tons of stuff to try, and I played Res demo, which was very good as well. And I think that's it. But I am thirsty for more. That's for sure. So part of it, part of it is I always had people over. So you're right. I, I any night I would dedicate to VR was usually like I played ten percent of the time, other than the first night. So right. Uh, so a couple of other quick questions: Is there are there any multiplayer games, or have you tried anything like that yet? Well, there's one. I guess relatively lame one in the VR, not VR worlds, uh, VR playroom where here it's a ghost game where the person in the room can see where the ghosts are and you can't, and it's telling you where to shoot. They're like telling you go to the right, go up or how to find the ghosts. It's okay. More for kids, I'd say. And then I think Eve Valkyrie, uh, battle zone, and there might be a couple other ones that are online multiplayer, but I haven't tried that. Okay. <clears throat> and have you tried uh, watching any movies, whether it's like like a 2D movie in the uh, VR space or because I've heard you can do that or any of the uh, VR shorts that are out there? I have not tried any of those. There is an app that came with it for downloading 3D video. Mm-hmm. And so I think we watched Miss Olga. 
That's Olga. Oh, what yeah, app she, is this, Frank? Interesting. <laughs> it's just a video. It's a video called Miss Olga. Uh-huh. And she, uh, she, try, she tries on a few different outfits. I bet and, she does. And then there's another one where it's a girl eating a banana. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is what VR was made for. They're so lame, but it's it is effective. I have I know we've got a a, I bet a, junk mail, a junk mail question about this, but I've not tried VR pornography yet. But I'm, it's coming, literally. I don't know. <laughs> well, I I tried watching the uh, Justin Lin VR short that he did. I don't know if that's available on the PlayStation One or not, but it was on Google Cardboard, and it's just like you know, a five minute sort of alien invasion thing. And you're with some people that are running away, kind of like Cloverfield almost. And I mean, it's not <clears throat> in terms of acting or anything like that. It's not very good, but it was an interesting experience because you mentioned at the beginning when we were talking about this stuff that I think when you're playing Batman, that you had rotated around a bunch until you didn't know where you were in your own house. I had that experience watching this movie just because you know, you're, the camera's kind of on rails going through, like, a subway, and you get on the subway car. and But, like, the whole time, you know, there's different things to look at. And uh, by the end, I didn't know where I was. And it was just a weird experience taking the the goggles off and being like, whoa, that, that's not where I thought I was. But um, <clears throat> I don't know. It's weird just thinking there's going to be a whole new cinematic language that comes out of this stuff where it's like, you know, you look at a character, but then you want to see what they're looking at. And like, so you, you know, you have to build in timing for people to look around at all the different things. And then there's going to be the idea of going back and rewatching something to see the things you missed the first time. I wonder if this will. So right now, like the three, the three D or whatever, the movies you're talking about are like 360 videos wrapped around you. Right. But I wonder if this will encourage a new form of video capture where it can actually capture 3D 360 so that when you're in a VR space, you can actually move around the actors right. in the movie. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's almost like a, like a video games cutscene in real time. Yeah. So that, I mean, I imagine that would be something the, be place, crazy. the PlayStation VR could do. I don't that know how you, you would couldn't... ever capture like full motion movies where well, you're getting I mean, all angles possible. But. Yeah, I don't know if I mean the Matrix bullet time, I mean they 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 just have cameras set up all the way Yeah, but around, that's just but, going around a single point. Yeah. Not really the same as like being able to move through a room fluidly while people are it, like during it'd, it'd yeah, be like it would, in a play. You would probably have to I mean like they can take a, a 2D painting and turn it to 3D so we'd have to use some sort of technology that's kind of projecting what would be there so I don't it, know if it'll it be interesting be... if this reinvigorates a push to go more photorealistic in like the gaming space so that you could sort of simulate a movie in 3D and it's just like a Pixar film but you can actually move around like you're in a play mm-hmm. but it's a more like crazy play where you're, you know, you're in it with all the crazy whiz bang that a video game can bring. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's going to happen. I guess, you know, that's one of the the things that's sort of the biggest potential and also a limitation of VR is, that, you know, everything has to kind of, 
Well, I guess it's not necessarily true, but I was going to say everything kind of has to be first person to some degree, but I guess even like that platformer game you guys played, like that's not first person. It's just that there's a camera that's... Right. You're behind the character. Yeah. So, yeah, it is possible to do other things, I guess. But, yeah, definitely the idea of, like, watching a movie or some sort of experience, but you're actually inhabiting a character and how that works. I mean, that's going to be what we're finding out in the next few years, I think. All right. Anything else, Frank? I don't think so. I think that's all I got. Okay. I think that's a pretty good, uh, you know, breakdown of sort of the initial launch of PlayStation VR anyway. I don't know. Like, what other big titles are on the horizon that, other than the Star Trek bridge crew one? Uh, I think the Battlefront X-Wing VR thing. But that's just one level, right? I don't know exactly what it is. Either way, a lot of people are going to get it. Yeah. Well, you get it for free if you own Battlefront on PS4. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's. I think it's just uh, an X-wing simulator, so to speak. I know there's Robinson, which is like some futuristic exploring game uh, made by Crytek, which is coming out. And then I think there's one other one I'm trying to remember. It's a. Um. It's a Sony game. I think it's supposed to be their killer app. Uh, let's see. Let's see if I can find the name here. Sorry. Uh, Farpoint. Farpoint is their big, I think it's a sci-fi thriller shooter type thing. And I guess the at E3, I remember Ubisoft showed Eagle Flight, which is like a multiplayer oh, yeah. flying game. So th- those are the three that I'm aware of anyway. Hmm. I imagine, you know, the Gone Homes and Firewatches will be coming. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And, oh, uh, Res- Resident Evil, I believe, oh, right. is fully VR in January. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Okay, well, um, I don't know if, like, did you want to give a star rating? I mean, it's kind of, I don't know if you can give a star rating for a whole system, but. I can give a star rating to anything, Sean, and <laughs> I'm going to give it a light for <laughs> 4.5. All right. Nice. <laughs> uh, so uh, why don't we uh, get into other stuff we played? Now, we do have a discussion that maybe, I, I don't know. Do you want to start with the discussion and then get into the, or why don't, why don't you talk about the game first, Frank? Then we'll get into Hot Button. Then we'll do the rest of the stuff we played. So The game being I No have, Man's Sky. Yeah. Which oh, I was going to say, also, I have no idea what the fuck we're talking Sorry. So, yeah, No Man's Sky, I think, is... Leading in the hot button, the hot button thing. It is the one big game that's come out over the, you know, in between episodes here that, you know, was a a big deal. Everybody was talking about it. Lots of conflicting opinions about it and um, potentially a lawsuit. So (laughs) why don't you guys talk about your experience with the game first and then we'll get to that. I can start. Um, so I'm not a big roguelike person in general. So, But before this game came out, I picked up Terraria. Or I had Terraria on my Vita. Okay. So I tried Terraria. 
Isn't and that more like a 2D Minecraft or it something? It is kind of, but the same sort of concept. Like you're harvesting stuff, building stuff, trying to progress more, blah, blah, blah. And it's procedurally generated? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So sort of the same thing, just a different scale. And I must say, I found the same thing with Terraria that I find with No Man's Sky. Okay, first of all, No Man's Sky looks pretty. Technology is obviously very impressive to have this massive universe that people populate in some fashion. Uh, big procedurally generated worlds. The worlds to me feel a little vacant as far as a little too large and a little too vacant. I think if they had shrunken down the worlds and kind of you know, gamified each world where it was a little more condensed, I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But the problem for me is that all these crafting roguelike game type things are they're all kind of like carrot in the stick model where okay the next thing you need is the jump pack so go and collect five wood five or five gold and then you can make your jump pack and then you explore around find your junk make the jump pack and it's like okay oh but you know now you need the super jump pack because you can't jump high enough. So go find 10 of each thing, blah, 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 blah. And it's all just this care to the state stick down the road. And there's no other beats except what to build next for me. Anyways, um, no man's sky has a little more. They have these like obelisk things where you kind of learn the language of the universe, I guess. And it kind of allows you to communicate with people but the people are so few and far between that I wasn't really getting anything out of that. Right. And I also had a big problem with the inventory. I found the inventory was so small that I was doing so much just like managing of my items within the inventory because you need to you need to protect your health. You need to protect your was it radiation level or something? I can't remember exactly what it is, but there's like two things you need to you also need to repair your ship you need to give your ship fuel so you need to sort of keep a constant supply of certain types of isotopes or whatever the material is called and then you also need to find the other stuff you need to build the things to progress further in the universe you know create your hyperdrive and create your fix your ship in the first area and all that stuff and I just found that it almost felt like the balance was just off on the game. Everything was just a little too far away. Your inventory was either a little, maybe not a little too small, but maybe the requirements for everything was a little too high. So your stuff would max out. Uh, and then you need more of something you need. Like, I think each slot held like a hundred of each item and you can have multiples, but, but you only have like nine or the ship I started with. I don't know if it's different for everybody. Only had like nine slots, and then you only have like, wait, maybe it's twelve slots on your ships, nine on your person, and it's kind of difficult to go back and forth really quickly. And there was just a lot of, just management, and not a lot of, driving me to the next thing. Um, it sounds like it almost like I'm comparing this to like the the loop of an MMO, and the thing with like an MMO or I guess any RPG, you you level up. And then there's a period of time where it's you feel the reward of that, like you're more powerful now, and it you know there's an excitement to that. Yeah. 
but it seems like that just doesn't exist in this game because it's just you get more exploration and yeah and that's the thing i think like you're supposed to feel the reward of going to a new planet and exploring the new planet but i found the planets are so big and there, there is quite a lot on them but there's they're also very far apart so you investigate one thing it takes you maybe two minutes and then you have to fly for five to get the next thing and it just felt a little too far apart and a little like not enough being found not enough co- like depth in each location i was kind of i have a thing in my note it kind of reminds me of almost like a mobile game minus the microtransactions where you're just kind of like going through the motions. Okay. Now I got to wait five minutes before I can play again. Whereas instead of a timer, you actually have to fly your ship over there. Um, and so I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm over these kind of games. I never was really into them to the first place. So, um, what's the other one? Starbound, I think is another like 2d type Terraria game where you do this sort of Minecraft thing. I never really been into Minecraft either. Never really played it. So maybe it's just this game is I'm more used to like story games with specific beats. I know people really love Don't Starve, which is a game probably more similar to this than Terraria where you're trying to find things to make you survive longer and then at night bad things come. I guess the same thing with Minecraft. Right, the zombies come at night or something. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I don't know. There's something about that that loop where I just don't get it. I, I, I'm I'm desperate to figure out why people love this type of game, and I I I've tried and I cannot get it. Frank, can you enlighten me why people love this type of game? Well, I I mean I don't think it applies to No Man's Sky per se, but usually they like the the action in between as mundane as it can be, like. There's a creation aspect to Minecraft, which is you're building your own house or designing a landscape the way you want or doing whatever you want to do in this. This game has everything else but that part, which I think is the thing people like about those games. Collecting resources and doing things are a necessity to build the thing you want. This game has nothing to build. Uh, You're just looking for stuff, essentially. So I think it was the hype or potential of the game was placed on the shoulders of the ability to discover things which i do like and naming things and discovering is my favorite thing about the game but i agree with what huck said completely that these planets need to be smaller so that you're getting a discovery loop on one planet and going to the next one or finding new things in new environments so that the visual pacing is at least more interesting to, to discover everything on a, one of these planets was became hours. I got stuck in a cave system once and I was lost in there for an hour and it was boring and frustrating as shit. So I was overwhelmed uh, by the game at first in a good way, like this idea of discovery. And I thought it looked amazing. I, I really enjoyed the first two hours. I'm like, this is, something new. I love this. Unfortunately, it becomes tedious and it's just not fun. And it's missing a core gameplay mechanic, whatever that is, whether it's building your house and fighting things off in Minecraft, or at least in something like Terraria, you're, you're going underground. You're there's, there's a skill based element to the game. This game doesn't have the skill based element. There's some fighting with, uh, these Those robots and stuff things, like that, yeah. but it's it's not that great. 
I, I still think it's interesting. It's just not that much fun. And I think, I, again, this is a game that could be improved by VR, but I don't know how much <laughs> yeah. or probably not at if all. It would, if it would make it fun, but I'd be curious to try it. The other I, thing, I, the thing that, sorry, just yeah, go ahead. The yeah. thing that makes the game huge and people loved it, like this infinite procedurally generated world is also in a lot of ways, the worst thing about it. It's, I'm not going to see these things. I know people are complaining. I can't interact with other people. Uh, you could say that's a commentary on the infinite nature of the universe and how utterly alone we ultimately are in our own place. Sure. But it's not fun. And that's the problem. I know. The, I think it is a bit of a stretch at eighty bucks. Uh, I would hesitate to recommend it to someone for eighty. I know the planet I started on already had things named. Oh really? That's yes. awesome. See, Some I guy that. had already discovered my planet that I was on. Hilariously enough. Hmm. Um, but the other thing I found was that I, I think Minecraft and Terraria and those kind of games don't starve achieve, which this game does not. Is that the things you need to build? Um, an upgrade, you kind of know about them or there's a way to combine items to figure out the recipes. So like, okay, I need in Minecraft, I need to make a torch. Okay, I have these this wood and I have this fire. What if I combine them together? Oh, I get a torch. I now know the torch recipe, let's say, right? So in, it's, there's, a, there's a fun in just experimenting with yes, that? Yes, there's a fun in experimenting or exploring to find new items to then combine with other things and see what you get. Uh, whereas in in No Man's Sky, the only way to learn new things is to find the recipe at these random houses throughout planets. And the recipes you find seem random. They could be for anything. I've gotten duplicate recipes like really early in the game, which seems like a big waste of time to me because there's obviously things to learn there's things to upgrade i mean i can't believe they just have like four things in the game you can you can make and somehow getting duplicate recipes right off the gate in a game seems like a big oversight um design wise and frank i don't know if you found this but i had a real problem you know finding the items i needed to build the specific things they wanted me to build. So which which just made my searching even more boring. Yeah, some things I did. I I know there's this discovery aspect, but I really think the game could have done a better job of guiding you. I, apparently, I found it after the fact. There's some red orb that will help guide you through it if you if you use it at the beginning, and I didn't even know it was there until I came back to the starting area again. So I don't know anything about that. It's like I'm assuming uh, a hand-holdy way of doing the first part of the game, Mm -hmm. but they don't hold your hand to get to the hand-holdy part to make the decision. So there's some weird design decisions there. Uh, Again, the hype was so high for this game. I I can't help but think they shot themselves in the foot in a way. Yeah. Well, speaking of the hype, we should um, touch on, so, you know, obviously there's been a backlash to the game. A lot of people obviously having the same complaints you guys are having and just basically saying it's it's boring. But 
when you go back and look at some of the trailers they released, people are saying, oh, hey, there's... Uh, you know, there's mechanics here that aren't in the final game. There's creatures here that aren't in the final game. Like you, you, you duped us, and uh, you know it has resulted in apparently an investigation into the possibilities of false advertising um, for uh, both Sony and is it Hello Games? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is through the UK-based Advertising Standards Authority. Not sure if there's another investigation or lawsuit somewhere else, but um, and you know this is on top of you know the whole thing with uh, with Steam. People can ask for refunds, and a lot of people have been doing that. And that's a whole kind of other issue where like you know with a lot of short games, people play play through the whole game and then ask for a refund on Steam because they're like it was only four hours long, and it's like well you play through the whole thing so yeah. <laughs> i don't know if you should get your money back now but um so yeah i don't know how did you guys have opinions on this like do you feel like you were duped i guess i could say like i never picked up the game i was very interested in it it was like one of my more anticipated games i think it was on one of my you know top five most anticipated lists at some point in there and i just uh at some point, I, I did not realize it was an $80 game. I thought it was like a $20 indie game. I always thought that's what it was going to be. I don't know when they decided this is like a full-blown AAA title, but I think that's where they screwed themselves. They decided that when the hype train left the station. I guess. But to me, you know, for $20, anything that's kind of an experiment, you know, you can you can fall back on that argument of, well, yeah, we were trying something new. But when you start charging people, you know, 70 or $80, it's a different whole other story. I mean, people expect certain things, and if you're not delivering that, they get very angry. Yeah, I mean, I – well, I got it out of the library, so I didn't really get duped either way. Uh, but I think – like, I don't ever pick anything up on day one before I understand what the game's going to be usually. So – when the game was near being out, there was no reviews yet. I still didn't really know what the game loop of the game was. So I had no hype. I had no desire to play it. I was interested in the tech and how it looked and this infinite universe. But until I know what I'm doing in a game, I'm, I'm not going to buy it. And when all the reviews came out and were kind of saying, you know, this isn't that great. Or, you know, I guess some were saying it was pretty good, but... When I found out it was kind of like a Minecrafty Terraria type mining roguelike game or whatever they're calling them now, um, is it a roguelike? Is that what they're calling this one, or is that not a roguelike? I guess not. I, I have never totally you understood that term. Game? I think roguelike is yeah, where if you die, oh, you start from the beginning, you start all over again. Yeah, so that's like don't starve, but I don't know what this is like this because you do have save points and things. So I guess it wouldn't be a roguelike game. Um, I guess just exploratory game. Um, crafting game, for yeah, sure. Yeah, crafting game. So I knew I didn't like those types of games. So for me, I never bought into the hype. Were they false advertising? I don't think so, because they never actually told us what the game was about. They just said it had a big universe to explore. Mm-hmm. Did they ever explicitly say blah, blah, blah? Like, I mean... I think so. I think there is a video that people have pointed out from... E3 stages or an E3 event where 
they touted the massively multiplayer features of this game. Uh, I, I can't quote this, but I, I'm sure people have used this as reference in the false promises the game made. And I think that was originally the intent. I mean, we're going to get in, like, they're covering up a sticker that says multiplayer to say that it isn't. So clearly yeah. something shifted along the way where they realized they couldn't do it or their dreams were too big for what they were able to accomplish within yeah. the time they had. I wonder how long do you do you remember what e3 that was like how they were hyping this game for a while like how many years out did they show this game i was think it, it was just one or I was it, it was two? a year out no no two three two, at the most two years out okay so let's say two years out that's a long time to so that's one really early to show a game this large and this ambitious yeah so of course you're going to create a hype reel to try to get the hype train rolling and it did. It worked. I don't know why. Like, I think it's changing now where games are not being announced until quite a bit closer to ship. But that's not how it used to be. I mean, this is kind of like a legacy of the old PR scheme where you you have a big blowout, look how awesome this fucking game is, announcement trailer really early and just make it look as good as possible even though it's completely fake. Yeah. I mean, how many demos were we involved with at a company that shall not be named where there's so many smoke and mirrors trying to get it just to look as best it could. I mean, it's just a, it's just a process of the game industry where it's, it's all illusion a lot of the time on these demos because the game's not done. The tech's probably not done. So you're trying to just get something to show the press on like an accelerated E3 schedule. You know that you need to show at E3 you know your game's not done, but now you need to assign people to make it look awesome in a small period of time and get a demo going. And I think it's just part of the industry, really, where you need to create something that looks awesome. You don't get a second chance to create that initial impression, and you need something that looks awesome. Yeah, I mean, we start talking about false advertising. It's kind of a weird area where... You know, I think we've talked about this before where you look at something like movies. Like, I think there have been cases where people have tried to sue for false advertising of a movie. But, I mean, it's it's a it's a work of art. It's kind of there's so much subjectivity involved that it's hard to say, you know, oh, I, I saw this trailer and it looked like it was going to be an action movie. So I paid my money to see it and it wasn't an action movie. But it's like whose definition of an action movie? You know, like it's so hard to say. But with games, there is a certain technical component that you can look at and say, well, this does this didn't deliver on that. And I feel like that networking online multiplayer aspect is a, a bit of a problem. I mean, I think the, the stuff of the trailer showing creatures that aren't there or whatever, like, I don't know. That's It's hard to say. You'd have to make the argument, I think, that, I saw That's these bullshit. cool creatures and I bought the game because of these cool creatures and they're not there. But I think the online play is something that, especially because people right away supposedly found each other in this universe and they couldn't see each other. Maybe they were expecting to roll out the feature later. Well, I mean, which is a whole other issue, but I mean, games are so hard to make. And I guarantee anyone in that class option lawsuit has never made a game. And you could easily... So two years ago, 
they could have had a prototype of multiplayer working in a small setting. And then all of a sudden, you get your uh, algorithm working for your super crazy universe. And now your multiplayer shit just is impossible. How are you going to manage an infinite universe knowing where everyone is? Like just the amount of you know data and moving parts and trying to figure out. Well, I'm sure there's a solution, but you know your your small scale like we're both on a planet together multiplayer is a lot different than hey we're all at some random spot in the universe servers up at sony need to track where everyone is in this infinite scaled place and like so i can see how they wanted to put multiplayer in thought there'd be a solution and they couldn't figure it out i mean are you just going to not ship the game because that well, small I, I component think, is not in anymore? I don't think so. I think people would have asked, well, you need to tell us that this feature no longer exists. But then it's like, well, how do you do that? Do you put out a press release? By the way, no multiplayer in this build. or I don't know. It, it is. Uh, yeah, but I mean, did they say... I guess I'd have to see what they said. But I mean, technically, you could say there's multiplayer in it because I log in. I see that some other random dude has found this plant on my planet already. Is he not another person multiplaying somewhere else? Yes, he is. Yeah. So by I, I definition, there is some there's multiplayer online component. play for sure. But I, I don't know, Frank, the, that whole sticker conspiracy theory thing, was that ever confirmed or was that like, I think they originally said it was just an accident, a printing error or something, but. I don't think so. <laughs> I think they it's they printed definitely. it thinking that, and they realized people were going to call them on something or say this isn't so the, there, or, or it's a judgment call as to whether it's multiplayer, so they were just covering their ass, I guess. So, like, the back of the box originally had a little icon saying multiplayer, and then they put stickers so. over top of it. This was in the UK or Europe or something, I think. Well, I think it was a ratings issue, because uh, with ratings, you you say that certain things are not under their control with user-generated content. And I guess that still applies because I could put in names for things that are potentially offensive if they haven't handled every version of that. So there is a ratings aspect to user-generated names that maybe it could fall under as well. So, I mean, I'm not sure exactly. I just, I mean, I, there is that video, which I think we talked about, or a GIF out there where it's, the E3 presentation with the Jurassic Park score, and then it cuts to the game in actuality, and there is a glaring difference. I mean, it, it, they are not the same game uh, for whatever reason. So I think people have a point. So uh, I'm not one of those. Pe I'm not mad personally. Uh, I wish I wouldn't have spent eighty. I would have wish. I wish I would have waited till it was on sale. But uh, that's life, you know. I bought Matrix uh, Revolutions in 2002. It was like, <laughs> or whatever that, Enter the Matrix, pardon me. And like, I've bought lots of terrible games based on hype. So it's not uh, the first time that's happened. Yeah. I guess there are some examples, some other examples of lawsuits over missing features and things. We were talking about the Aliens Colonial Marines game. Right. Which I think got thrown out of court or something yeah i think i think all the ones we were looking at got thrown out eventually did anything ever happen for the kill zone e3 demo for kill zone 2 i believe on well the one three the one that we were looking at it said for Shadowfall, and it got thrown out because the differences were too minor the judge ruled 
Killzone Shadowfall. Yeah, you scroll up a bit, Sean. I, I remember the smoke and mirrors, uh, smoke and mirrors aspect of the the Killzone Two demo, which looked amazing, and it was certainly not that once it shipped. But I mean, I, I mean, another game. I think Horizon Zero Dawn, if that's the title, which I can never remember. Yep. I think that's going to deliver on what it promises. Uh, I'm skeptical that The Last Guardian is going to deliver on what it promises. And Conspiracy Theory... What are the promises? It was a very hyped game, and it's been going a long time. And I don't know why other games that are in development for 10 years, like uh, Duke Nukem and Prey and Too Human, uh, whether... I I don't think that's true for Too Human, first of all. But the... the, uh, why those games get punished for it, but I'm not hearing any negative aspect to last guardian. I feel like for some reason people want this game so bad that they'll take it at any rate. And usual criticisms are not being brought up for this game. I could be wrong, but I, I think it looks pretty dated. I still think it looks good. I'm excited for it. But if this game is also like, doesn't deliver or is a flop, I mean, I think it could be three hours long potentially. Uh, I think Sony could be in trouble if it wasn't for the VR and like Horizon Zero Dawn coming out around the corner because they've had a lot of big promises, Final Fantasy VII remake, and we are not seeing them in reality. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens with Last Guardian. Conspiracy theory for Last Guardian. The game has been done for a while, uh, and that last thing where they delayed was like a false like a smoke a red herring to say oh we're still working on it we want to make it as good as we can up until the release date and they're just like pushing it off so people think they're working on it even though it's basically a ported ps3 game that essentially probably has a small team working on it and has been done for a while and they just want a better window well they want people to think like oh we're still it's gonna be shit we need to delay this game we are still working on it to make it amazing meanwhile they know what it is. I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. Well, it's a conspiracy theory, Sean. It's not a. <laughs> well, I know, but I'm just saying I don't. I don't believe your conspiracy theory because, like, it. You know, they're missing a huge window if they're pushing they're it. They're not early though. December. It would have been fighting with VR sales. Mm, like, I don't think that would have been a problem for them. <laughs> oh, you're fucked, bud. <laughs> <laughs> um, the kill zone one was about 1080p fidelity, mm. and they said that. The marketing said it was 1080p, but that's not the actual resolution. And they said the difference between what they promised and what they delivered was too minor to constitute false advertising. Plus, that game still looks amazing, so all those people can fuck off. Do something. <laughs> yeah, I, it it is a little bit worrisome if, if this lawsuit were to go through what that would mean. I, and I do feel kind of bad because I don't necessarily think that the, the developers had any... I don't think they were doing anything shady. I think they were trying to make the best game they could. I do think maybe Sony saw that people were really responding to it and pushed them to. I the think o- so too. The only thing I really don't like about this, I don't know if kind of going off the hot button, but I don't know if you saw, but Sony threw hello games basically under the bus. Oh really? Yeah. For They said, um, Something it's something to do like basically like oh we weren't involved with the PR for this game, so like trying to get away from the class action lawsuit I guess hmm. or something, which 
is crazy because how do you get on the E3 stage? How yeah. do you get to be the headliner of the E3 stage? Obviously, you need Sony backing. And I mean, I'm pretty sure Joe Danger, which was Hello Games' first two games, one and two, were, I'm pretty sure they were Sony exclusives for a small period of time. Um, so obviously, they have ties to Sony. Obviously, Sony was pushing it. I mean, Hello, what's Hello Games going to say no to like top spot on an E3 stage? Of course they're not. They're going to go for it. And you don't just give that out to anybody. You give it to someone who you think is going to make you a lot of money. Yeah. So I think I'm a little surprised Sony stepped back and hasn't really been helping Hello Games out at all with this. But I guess maybe they realized the game was not maybe what they had marketed it to be, which maybe is confirmation that there was little false advertising, I guess, that Sony's stepping back and trying to distance themselves from it. But I think, uh, I don't know. I feel bad for the guys at Hello Games that got to go through all this shit because, like, there's. I know it's a small team. I think there's only, like, 12 or 15 guys on that team. It's not like, they're an indie studio. They're just tiny. Yeah. And, you know, they don't deserve this shit. So what, they made a game that's not living up to standards. Like Frank said, happens all the time. I don't feel bad for them, though. I think uh, there had to be warning signs within their... You don't feel bad that they're getting a class action lawsuit? Mm, not necessarily, no. Like, they I, they definitely hyped up aspects of the game that weren't there, and they certainly didn't do anything to quell those expectations. Well, that's true. When, when they knew what they were dealing with. So, uh, I, I don't... Uh, like I, I'm not, like... One of those people was like, "Go get these guys. They need to be punished by any means." I don't necessarily know that I, I, I feel bad because part of this hype probably led them to insane instantaneous sales, which wouldn't have happened uh, without that. So they probably did research and decided, you know, price point, how to capitalize. They're they're not dummies. Yeah, they're looking they're looking into this stuff. They have probably hired marketing, yeah, helping him with those decisions, and so it's. It is what it is. I bet you the reason they thought they could slap a, a full game price tag on this thing is because they looked at the you know estimated hours of gameplay and it was probably like some huge number and they thought, well, that's that's a lot of bang for your buck. But maybe well, I, mean, I think it does have a look that is a little more in the AAA landscape initially. Yeah. Anyway, I think the the trailer from E three looked really good, but I mean, I'm more offended by a game. Like this battle zone game for VR and E Valkyrie seem like crazier cash grabs at eighty dollars than this. Now that's that's a bit of speculation on my part because I haven't played them, but yeah, uh, the I VR think it, landscape well, is dangerous in that regard too. I I think v, the E Valkyrie is a more fully formed game, but I also haven't played it. Yeah, so just to defend that bit, I don't know. I'm definitely disappointed with that game. Again, something I would like to get back to and revisit. I just don't know how feasible that's going to be. All right, so let's get to other stuff we played. What do you guys want to talk about? What do we want to talk about? Sean, you said you played Inside? Yeah, I, well, you guys talked about it last time, so yeah. I don't want to get too much into it, but I did finish it and... Uh, Enjoy it? Really enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've only finished a couple of games this so far this year, but it's definitely you know one of my favorite games of the year. Beautiful. Frank, you want to go ahead? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I don't have a lot in all honesty. So I guess I'll start with, this was free on uh, Games with Gold. And it was the original Forza Horizon. And I had never played the original. And I played this game. I did everything you could do in the game. I absolutely loved it. I liked Forza Horizon 2. And now Forza Horizon 3 has come out. And I've been playing that. And really enjoy it as well. I almost enjoy the structure of the first one the best, though. It's the least confusing. Uh... I think they may have added too many features with three. I still love it, but I, there's something about the, the simplicity and design in the first one that I truly love. And if you, if you're like a mild racing game fan, but the ideas of like the Forza motorsport games or Gran Turismo, it's like a little too much tinkering wise. I think these are amazing sandbox racing games that are very simple to play fun uh, somewhat arcadey in nature, and I would highly recommend these games to even like the most casual of racing game fans. Cool. Seems kind of weird to me that they, because I've always been confused about this. I did not like. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of racing games either way, but I would be more interested in an arcadey one. But I've because it has the Forza name on it. I just always assume. I wouldn't it's, say it's arcade. Katie, but like there's off-road aspects, power sliding, uh, rewarding, chaining, driving skills, and okay, they have like more focused things where it's not just or not focus. It's it's not just about racing. There's like more tricks and action, and these custom bucket list events where they match music and cars and scenery. And there's the intro to Forza Horizon Three is pretty spectacular. Like you're hopping over this train on jumps and. There's like some Baja off-roading stuff. Like it's, there's a lot of fun, cool stuff in these games, hmm. and cool. even a collecting, collectible aspect in the open world with the cars is is great as well. I, I find them really addictive. They're probably my favorite racing games potentially of all time. Wow, cool. Okay, Hawk City, what do you got? Well, I've uh, since I've not had too much time. I've actually been spending my time trying to go through my backlog yep. of games. And uh, I've actually played a bunch of older RPGs, which I either played a lot of already or never played of, played any of. Uh, and I played through Lunar Silver Star Harmony, which is kind of like this traditional JRPG, but it, it's kind of like a mix of turn-based battles with action uh, in that you're in like it's kind of like a halfway point between like your traditional Final Fantasy Dragon Quest, just choose your attack and it plays itself, and Star Ocean, which is like full action, where your guys actually have to get in range to perform their attack, but you don't actually have control of where they move to. If that makes sense. So there is some some I guess some strategy as to who you choose to attack with each guy. I actually really enjoyed it. I played through the whole thing on my Vita, which is just a great platform for playing these RPGs. And then uh, I've also been playing through uh, Lufia 2, which is another great uh, SNES RPG, which is slowly climbing my ranks as one of the best RPGs, mainly because of the puzzles and dungeon uh, dungeons that they have. 
I find um, it's it's almost like a precursor to the Golden Sun games. I I don't think the two teams are related anyway, but I can see elements that the Golden Sun team, which I think is Camelot, took from Lufia 2, where there is dungeons that have uh, puzzles that require you to use items, almost like a Zelda in that regard. Uh, and it's actually really fun. It's a nice change of pace to the traditional just random battles. Nothing to do in a dungeon really except find treasure and uh, and fight guys. And then I also played, I've been playing through Final Fantasy 4, Final Fantasy 5, which I had never played through. And I keep trying to go through Final Fantasy 9, which people have told me is a great one. But I am struggling to get to this game. I've never beaten it. And I just cannot find find the time or motivation to keep going through it. I'm stuck on I, the, the third disc, which I think is basically the last disc. I, I think the fourth disc is just the last area. Um, and that's it. Well, that's it for the RPGs, and I can do more later. Okay. <clears throat> well, I have uh, a few of the more recent AAA releases I could talk about. I don't know. Do, do you want to talk about ReCore, Frank? Yeah, my experience was, was brief, but for sure. Yeah, I, I haven't played a ton of it, but, um, you know, it, it came out, kind of seemed to get mediocre reviews and just kind of seemed to fall off the radar pretty quickly. But uh, it was priced uh, at a mid-range uh, price, and, uh, you know, obviously some people who worked on the Metroid Prime games are involved, so I was curious. And, you know, it's an original IP, so that kind of just alone was enough to get me excited about it. And, you know, I'm enjoying the game. I, I, from what I understand, it kind of gets repetitive by the end. And I can kind of see that even just in the first couple hours I've played. Like the combat, it does feel very Metroid Prime-y where you lock on to guys and just kind of strafe around them. Um but, you know, there's still, I don't know, I'm intrigued by the world. I don't know if it's completely just empty or what, but, like, you know, it's just sort of this desert planet that I'm on, and, uh, you know, I guess there's sort of a post-apocalyptic scenario that you're slowly learning about as you go, and your companions are robots and your enemies are robots. Um, so, uh, but, yeah, I don't know, I... It, Definitely, just the hint of some some Metroid elements was enough to to uh, to keep me interested, and I think I'm gonna keep playing it. So, yeah, the uh, double, triple jumping, gliding elements I think are really strong. I think the design of the enemy combat is great, and the way I, like the colors change and reacting differently in terms of dodging while locked on in these things. Combo system seems relatively good. Only mechanism I wasn't crazy about was the tug of war thing with things. I found yeah. it inconsistent and uh, kind of lame. But I was pleasantly surprised with what I've played. Now the load times I remember being horrific. Yeah. But I th I think the first patch improved that. But I have not tried it to see how much of an improvement it is. Yeah, I mean definitely. Uh, every time you die there's a bit of a wait. I remember that much. So, yeah, but yeah, I, bad, mean, but I, I would for 45 say, or whatever it was. I mean, I'm, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. I mean, I just think 
people are scared away as soon as something's like below a, a 90 on Metacritic, I feel like. And there's still lots of good games that are in that are below that. So mm-hmm. it's worth checking out, I think. Something else for you, Frank? Yeah, I guess I'll mention Gears 4, which uh, I've played the, f- the prelude in Act 1, I think, maybe part of Act 2. And mm-hmm. I was really enjoying it. It felt very similar to, to Gears 1, which is a game I love. Uh, lots of cool enemy design, starting to mix, starting with like a whole new robot type scenario. I don't understand the story at all. I, I'm not yeah. a, a Gears lore head by any means. So that is a bit confusing. But I mean, they got these cool horses that are like other creatures in this world, which I find interesting. And I'm hoping there's more of that stuff, much like Halo Reach. And then there's some like organic enemies that are starting to be introduced, which seem cool too. So visual pacing variety seems like it's on track, which I think is the most important thing for a game like that with a a tried and true shooting mechanic. So I still need to play some co-op and the new horde mode, but overall liking that game quite a bit. I'd say it's a, if I was to compare the two major things, it's better than Halo 5 was. Yeah, I played a bit of it as well. I think to the end of the first act, um, maybe a little That's the one in the, villi- the village, right? Like that crazy onslaught type thing? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I didn't play Judgment. I don't know where that fits in story-wise. And I think I only played the multiplayer for Gears 3. So it had been a while since I'd really played a... Uh, Gears of War campaign and uh, it seemed like they switched things up a lot like they start off with sort of this flashback to the Locust War and I was kind of like oh god I forgot about this stuff like this just feels like really they're still doing this but then it's it's no, all that's new. like a nostalgia thing it's going back to moments that everyone remembers from Gears 1 right so but then yeah then it's like a whole new kind of scenario new characters and and uh, you know maybe it's just me I feel like I see uncharted influences and everything now but felt Mm -hmm. like the main character was very nathan drake ish and they kind of toned down all the testosterone that you know the original games had which is definitely in a nolan north sound alike yeah i had uh, to double check to see i was like another nolan north game i don't know what's worse just finding someone who sounds exactly like nolan north or casting nolan north again yeah, but I think the guy who wrote the game was one of the writers on uh, Uncharted 4 or maybe some of the other Uncharted games. I, I don't know exactly, but there maybe is a, a good reason for some of that influence, aside from just ripping off a game that's successful and popular. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I was enjoying it. I guess I just uh, I hadn't seen a lot of new mechanics. Maybe there's more stuff to be introduced still, but... Um, but story-wise and visuals and all that stuff, I thought were quite good. So I'm digging it. While we're on the Gears train, I uh, I I took Gears Four to the library, but it hasn't come in yet, or I put it on hold, I should say. So while I was waiting, I fired up Gears Three, which I'd actually never played before. I got it on the Gears Collection for the Ultimate Edition, and I actually was really enjoying it. I hadn't played Gears in well, probably Frank since we were doing that. Gears 1 co-op for a little bit. Uh, but I found Gears 3 really good, and it made me 
looking maybe look forward to Gears Four now to try that, see how they've improved things. I think I'm like on chapter two or something like that, or act two. So not very far either in Gears Three, but surprisingly I'm surprised I never played this game when it came out because I actually enjoyed it quite a bit so far. Um I don't like you guys, I had no idea what was going on from Gears Two. I kinda remember Gears One because I played that game through a few times, but uh Gears Three is a mystery as to like where the enemies are coming from and what they're doing, but oh well. It's the game's still fun. The gameplay seems basically the same and not much has been added. And other stuff I played. I've cancelled my PS Plus subscription. So I've been trying to go through my PS Plus backlog while I still have it. I have it until March. So I played uh, a game called Tricky Towers that is free, or was free. It's basically a twist on Tetris. And um, it's, it's kind of remind me of there's, they have sort of different game modes where you can, it's either race to the top sort of thing. So you have to kind of build your tower up as high as you can get it in a certain amount of time. Or it's um, you have 10 specific blocks that block or that drop in a specific order and you, but you can only build your tower so high or your stack so high and there's a limited play area down below, so you have to place the, the pieces just right in order to get your height to not not as high, not too high. So it's a little puzzle aspect on Tetris. And I found it pretty fun. I didn't play, I played maybe 20 levels or so, but it kind of was a neat little game. I also played through a little bit of Rebel Galaxy, which I think was free last month. And I've been really enjoying that, though I'm not very far in it. I definitely want to go back. It's a space shooter. I think you basically, it kind of reminds me of um, Freelancer, in a sense, if you guys played that game. Kind of like a space um, exploration, mining, trading game. Looks a bit like Colony Wars. Colony Wars? I never played that. Yeah, for PlayStation 1. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it, I hadn't heard about this. It looks kind of the Rebel Galaxy game. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I I like it. And um, yeah, so far it seems neat. There's sort of like an underlying storyline of you're trying to find your mom or something like that, which is is not great right now. It's kind of just like you know, point A to point B. Oh no, now you have to go to point C. Oh no, now I need this. You know, like typical sort of storyline breadcrumbs trail. But it, at least I have a goal. Like it's so funny playing this next to No Man's Sky because here's a space kind of exploration game that's basically on a 2D plane, and I'm getting way more out of it. Yet it's way less technically impressive uh, compared to No Man's Sky. But just because there's this purpose for me going places and having certain quests, you can you know unlock bounties and things that'll gain you money, and you can upgrade your ship. Just just the loop was so much tighter. And I felt like, you know, there was a reason to play it so much. I, if you're looking for a space game, try Rebel Galaxy instead of No Man's Sky. Um, on the same th- same sort of uh, PS Plus, finish it off. I started playing Zero Escape: Virtue's Last Reward, which is sort of like one of these visual novel games, uh, similar to the other game. I I finally finished was Danga Rapa 
trigger happy havoc on the <laughs> both of these are on the vita i've heard of the zero escape <laughs> one and i actually have been meaning to play it because i i heard good things about uh because it's a sequel to that 999 yeah. game or something yeah and, and i, I think always wanted to try that third but... game too now something oh, okay. else um but yeah i haven't played too long i finished the dang and Robin one and i i'm maybe like one chapter into the zero escape one i don't know how but it, they're very similar games it's kind of just like a lot of reading uh, a lot of story and then you get to do little puzzles or other type of little things. Aren't they like, well, the the one, isn't it like a, more of like a, a room escape game? Where yes, that's right. From rooms and stuff? Yeah, the Virtue's Last Reward is a room escape. So you got to kind of pixel hunt to find clues and then use the clues you find to figure out the puzzle to get out of the room. So it's, I'm enjoying it. Um, I really like these kind of games. I mean, it's a little heavy on dialogue which could be definitely pared back. Yeah. Um, I think they're trying to character build or something, but it's just like way too much. It's kind of like Paper Mario, I find. You know, they just throw all this stupid dialogue in just to make it long. Um, but yeah, those are the main PS Plus games I've been playing. And uh, I would recommend if you like a visual novel type game, definitely try Virtue's Last Reward. Yeah, I've actually strangely been playing a lot of like cheap uh, iPhone room escape games lately. Yeah, I don't know why I got on this kick. Like, I guess I still haven't finished the room three, but I was kind of interested. I in... just bought the room two. Oh, nice. Looking it's, forward to it's it. Good. Uh, the room three, a little too big. I think I just got. I don't know. I'll go back to it. But uh, just been playing like these weird random iPhone room escape games, and a lot of them are like ported from Flash and stuff. But like Kieran's like super into them for some reason. Like he's like stealing my phone from me. He's like, wait, let me open this thing. What? And, like, <laughs> so it's like he'll like open everything up, collect everything, and then I'll have to go through and kind of look at like whatever the math puzzles are and like kind of help him through that part. But like, I don't know. It's just weird what he suddenly gets into. Mm. Um, well, I think who said this at, uh, I think it was Huck at, at my house, like the room in VR, like the way you did that, yeah, yeah. that 3D puzzle in Batman, like yeah. some kind of like real thing that you're interacting with trying to figure it out or rotate it and do stuff. That would be amazing. Yeah. yeah well, I, I, I mentioned that when I was doing the London heist puzzle part. Oh, right, right, right. And, but like I looked it up afterwards and they actually do have a room VR like demo tech demo or something like but i think it's only for oculus so they're mm. aware that it's there's potential there so hopefully they'll do a full game at some point um but what else can i mention i guess uh battlefield one pick this Played up even. a bit of it just a bit yeah i i didn't really plan on buying it but uh there was a deal on amazon with gears and then the reviews were really good even for the campaign so I thought, yeah, I'll give it a try. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I've barely, you know, maybe played like an hour tops and really only done the first campaign mission, which is the tank one. Um, but there's some interesting ideas there. Even just like the idea of like when people die, it's like being replaced by other soldiers and stuff like that. It's kind of, kind of a cool little idea, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I guess far enough into it that I can say anything about the story really, but technically these games are always pretty impressive and, uh, and yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot to say. It seemed somewhat interesting. I liked what I played, but 
If anything, I would say the single player missions I did felt like really like overextended. Yeah. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of uh, objectives within a small area that are it feels like there's too many each time, but I don't know. It's a little early to say for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely not like the Battlefield 4 campaign. Right. Which was like a solid campaign from what I played. So you don't think it's as good as Battlefield 4? I, I feel like it's working. Battlefield 1 is teaching you the or using the the multiplayer systems more than being like a specifically catered to or like one-off stuff in the campaign. Hmm. Okay. Um, do you have, how much other stuff do you have, Frank? I have like a couple other things here. Very little. Okay. Well, I'll just mention, uh, well, do you guys want to talk about the Jackbox, Jackbox three? Yeah. I mean, we played it for a bit. It was kind of good. Yeah, Better know. than two from what I remember. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what were... I mean, Quiplash is always the favorite, seems like. What were the we other played ones? that t-shirt battle, which was not that great. Might have some potential, but... Is that the murder one? No, oh, that's no, the, that's, that was a different one. You, you draw images and come up with captions, and everyone tries to make t-shirts, but I feel like it's a lot of work to get into the game for... Like, the payoff doesn't quite match. Yeah. And then there was a trivia, like a trivia game, a murder, like a ghost. Some, I can't remember what the fuck it's called. Yeah. But but it was, uh, I, I actually liked it. I mean, I didn't get a single question wrong. I was the only person in the room who did. So, <laughs> so clearly I have a, a knack for this stuff and I got completely fucked by the game at the end. And uh, <laughs> it, it happens. It's okay. It's okay. I'm, I'm not a sore loser. Uh but I, I liked it. I, I could play that again. Yeah. Did you try any of the other games? Or I think those are the only three that I was there for. But no, that's I haven't played it since. But they just need to cut out the witty dialogue and banter in between shit. It's the not game funny. Show host stuff. No one fucking cares. If anything, it should be like a like the most frantic trivia game ever, where it's like so intense that it's just next question, next question. Like you don't have time for breaks. They need like a less meandering experience. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so on the topic of Batman games, I tried a couple other recent Batman games. I played the first chapter. Well, I haven't finished it yet, but a bit of the first chapter of the Batman telltale series. I'm interested to hear about this. I mean, it's cool. It's cool. Uh, I just, I don't know, the weird, like, I, I really liked the first Walking Dead Telltale game, and every ever since then, I've kind of been trying out some of their games here and there, and I'm always like, oh, there's potential here, but the problem I find a lot of the time is you're sitting there watching, you know, like, it's basically your interactive cutscenes with minimal interactiveness. <laughs> yeah, it's gotten only worse as Telltale has gone forward. Yeah, and it's uh you know, the story is interesting and I think it could be cool if I had more investment in the choices I make, but it kind of feels like you choose dialogue options and things that you're going to do just based on whatever you're feeling like there's no like if i had a goal like if i go into a a conversation and i know hey i gotta try to get this piece of information from this person or 
I want to piss this person off for this reason. Like, it'd be interesting if I had a goal. It'd be as like a puzzle to, to solve. Yeah, kind of as opposed to just like, well, here's four dialogue options. That one sounds funny. You know, like, yeah. I don't know. That doesn't, I don't get pulled in that much Who because of that. Who is Bruce Wayne? Yeah. <laughs> but it's cool in the sense that kind of like Arkham VR, it kind of explores more Batman as a detective, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not, I mean, there's some action sequences, but it's not really an action game for sure. Um the production value is pretty good. I guess, you know, the other question is, like, Telltale's games, if I'm just sitting and watching, shouldn't I want, like, the absolute best visuals? Like, shouldn't it be, like, cutting-edge, amazing visuals? And they always just kind of go for, like, the cel-shaded, stylized approach, which is okay for this, but the animations are always just really, like, stiff and yeah. weird, well, and they pull you out of they've it. They've been using that same engine for, I don't know, 10 years now <laughs> yeah still making seems cash good. hand over fist so yeah good on them i guess yeah people, people are still giving them money to make these games and why wouldn't you say why would you say no yeah i mean so it's all they're all just i mean if you're into you know narrative experiences i guess there's there's good writing in them for the most part but did you play uh wolf among us no, but I think was it's that free on, on gold? Yeah, yeah. I think I downloaded it then, but I haven't tried it yet. No, I haven't either. I think I'll probably wait until all the episodes. I think they're done three episode three now for Batman. So I'll probably wait until they're done the whole series, and then hopefully there's a box release, and then I can pick up the old library. Yep, I'm sure there will be. Um, the other Batman game. This is a weird one. And I'll just mention it because it's kind of interesting what could come out of it in the future. It's called the Wayne investigation and it's on the Amazon echo, believe it or not. And this is kind of like, <laughs> what is the Amazon echo? This is there. <laughs> just Mr. Tech. eh? just pick up everything. Well, I don't actually have an Amazon echo. There's a way of playing it because they have a, a website where you can test out the echo. Essentially. It's, it's like their version of Siri, Amazon's version of Siri or okay. Okay. whatever it's called. Alexa. And it's like a personal assistant. So you buy this thing and you put it in your kitchen and you just ask it questions. Oh, and I've seen the commercials for that. So, okay. but, but they're starting to come up with games for this thing. And it's like, well, what is a game for something that's just voice activated? And they're doing essentially what I've been saying needs to be done for a long time. Oh, is this like is, that link you sent me where they're desperate for voice things? Yeah, yeah so they, they have like these sort of interactive audiobook things. And this one, I guess, was to like it was put out by Warner brothers to promote Batman versus Superman. And it's very short. It's like maybe 15 minutes long and it's like barely a game. Like you, you know, you get a a certain passage of narration and you have two options. And usually even if you choose wrong, it just says, go back and do the other thing. So I I don't even think there's, I, I don't even think there's multiple endings to it, but, um, but the, I mean, the the actual voice acting and stuff is pretty good, and it just kind of made me see like if if they're pushing it, and it seems like they have like a development kit that they're they have out there for this kind of stuff. Um, they just want more people to do it, thing, yeah. so uh, there there could be some cool stuff uh, coming for this. So I'm kind of curious to see what happens next. So they have a dev kit to make these things. Well, it's not it's not a SDK. Yeah, SDK. It's not like an actual device. But you can do it all online. Like you go to this website, oh, I see. And, Sorry, you can, I gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. and you can test it out and click and talk to Alexa and ask questions and all that. We need to make the film junk audio interactive experience. 
Yeah. You said you wanted to buy Amazon Prime. <laughs> Confirm? No. Okay, Amazon Prime. <laughs> Charge to your... <laughs> that is definitely a big reason why this thing exists. But, um, but yeah, kind of interesting, I guess. And uh, the only other thing I'll mention, don't really have a mind fuck of the month. I guess inside would be it, but I was kind of mentioned last episode. I have a Metroidvania of the month, which is Headlander. Oh, please, please do not use that term. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it starts with an M. Everybody knows what it means, so I'm going with it. Metroid-inspired uh, game. <laughs> it doesn't have the same <laughs> ring. Uh, so this is a double fine game, actually. And it's kind of a comedic sci-fi game. It takes place on a space station. And, um, you know, it's kind of influenced by a lot of the 70s sci-fi. Like, it's very kind of trippy weird sexual undertones and things like that and uh but the main mechanic is that you can pop your head off and it like float it around in space and and take over somebody else's body like essentially like detach your head and put it on somebody else's body and then you control that person and i guess it's kind of a little bit like that stacking game they did yep. a while back like same kind of idea but um but it's like a 2d side scroller kind of thing or i guess 2.5d and uh you know it, it's it's pretty good i guess like the problem is it it never there's action sequences you know and there's shootouts and, and the action stuff always feels a little bit clunky it kind of reminds me of the ron gilbert game the cave which was kind of the same thing it was kind of a metroidvania but any of the platforming action stuff didn't work as well as the the story comedy stuff. So if you're interested in the, the the comedic elements of it and the story and the atmosphere and that, you might like it. It's not really an action game though. Just keep that in mind. More of an adventure game, I guess. So mm. but it was pretty good. That's it for me. Frank. All right. I'll go quick. I would just say been playing a ton of Madden 17. Yes, I, me too. N- no particular reason other than I think, I'll tell you the reason. It's a it's a fucking awesome game. Uh, no, I agree, but it's not that different from 16, which I didn't play a ton of. So no, I think true. I'm just in, in the mood for it and really enjoying it. And uh, definitely would recommend it, if you, especially if you haven't played a Madden game in a long time. There's lots of mild RPG elements, which I think improve the experience. Mild? And the whole thing's an RPG. It's, it's kind of mild. <laughs> uh, and then... Uh, I mean, that's another trending game. So I haven't played the FIFA career mode yet, but I know we have a, a, a junk mail about it. Uh, the Your career mode as being like this like storytelling thing, I'm not buying it at all. I cannot stand it in the NBA 2K games. It's the worst. It's garbage. It's pure garbage. Uh, and then I had missed this game. I'd always been visually so attracted to it it was the hottest game i've ever seen and i was like it was on steam i couldn't really play it and i'm like man that game's so hot (laughs) and then finally it's out on consoles now jotun which is kind of a hand-drawn animation style game isometric i would say visually inspired by i guess like a, a ralph bashi type thing um kind of like the banner saga was i would say 
but it's got like this weird action adventure style, not weird, but it's like an action adventure style and kind of like an isometric shadow of the Colossus. You're fighting these big bosses and trying to unlock the path to them. And it is awesome. Like visually, probably the favorite, my favorite thing since Ori by far. Really? This is J O T U N. That's how you spell it. Yes. And they recently announced a new game with a similar animation style, but it's a Metroid-inspired game, Sean, called called Sundered. Uh, And it looks amazing as well. So I was kind of, when I looked at screenshots before, even though I was like, man, I love the look of this game, I didn't know what the gameplay was, and it's actually pretty good. It's action-adventure-y and... Kind of neat. I, I highly recommend Jotun. And Sundered looks amazing as well. So good for these guys. I think it's, uh, what is it? Something Lotus Games. Um, one sec, I should say. Thunder Lotus Games, based mm. out of Quebec, I think. Quebec, nice. Cool. And I just want to mention, I didn't buy Titanfall 2. I would have... But this is the first time EA Access has done me wrong. Uh-oh, mm. what? It's not on... It's, you don't get the discount? You don't get the trial, and you don't get the discount. Really? What the fuck is up with that? Wow. They must really be... Uh... Did Respawn break away from EA? I, I, I don't know. I thought it was published by EA. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just a big dummy. Let me check. Well, Titanfall I don't, One is definitely on EA Access. Yes, I think, and I and I I one thing for sure is they have a pack that you can buy that comes with Battlefield One and Titanfall Two, which they didn't advertise until Titanfall Two came out. Otherwise, I just would have bought that. Uh, but let's see here. I, I don't know what's up with it. A lot of people are pissed, and I think rightfully so. What a fucking crock of shit. <laughs> Uh, that does seem it, weird. It's, I thought it's all like, EA games went through that. It might be a joint publishing thing. Like on the cover of the game, there's Respawn and EA pretty close beside each other. I don't know. I'm pissed. Mm, now, yeah, I don't know about that. Now I'm not. Uh, I'm holding off. Oh, and I forgot to say, for some reason, about a month ago, just became obsessed with Pac-Man. I was playing original Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Pac-Man 265, the new uh, Pac-Man. Pac-Man DX version 2 came out September 16th. Just for some reason fell in love with Pac-Man again. And Pac-Man is a great game. Everyone should play Pac-Man. A classic. It is a classic. But what's better, Pac-Man or Miss Pac-Man? That is the question. I think Miss Pac-Man. They're both great. But I I would say I love Pac-Man... Uh, 256. Did I say 265 before? 256. It's like this kind of endless runner version of Pac-Man. Uh, fantastic. Check it out, Pac-Man fans out there. Cool. Yeah, I liked the uh, Championship Edition they did a while back. Yeah. So. so this is the second one. Cool. They released in September. I don't. I'm finding I'm not liking it as much as the original, but I, I haven't played it that much. Okay. Um, I got I got two more for myself. Okay. Uh, I picked up a game yesterday, actually, on the Steam holiday sale, Halloween holiday sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I picked up that 
Pony Island game that Graham was talking about last episode. I'm yep. gonna, I haven't tried it yet, but I'm going to give it a go. Same with The Room 2. Uh, but one of the games I picked up, which could be Mindfuck of the Month, is this game called Capsule. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's mm. a little odd. You basically play as a crosshair in the middle of a sonar readout and you're underwater and you can move up and down or sorry you can up and down controls your throttle and you have a certain amount of fuel and left right you turn and then you also have oxygen meter and with the space bar you can send out your sonar to detect the things around you so essentially you're traveling in a direction you have a a direction on your on the bottom and then you have a goal and you have the distance to the goal so you don't have like a mini map you don't exactly know where the goal is but you can judge by the distance number if you're going towards it or away from it and so essentially you have to and then there are little triangles or circles or diamonds that you can scan. Some of them are just crap in the water. Some of them are oxygen, um, like vents, they call them. Some are fuel tanks. Some are um, like bad nitrogen bubbles or something that will cause you damage. Others are like uh, engine power suck things. I think they're called ion somethings. Uh, and there's also like, en- there's kind of enemies in the game. One's like mines. So if you go too close to the mines, they'll explode. There's seeker mines where if you scan them, they just straight line run at you. Uh, there are these drone enemies that are, all these things are like circles and squares. But <laughs> <laughs> then they like come at you. It's just their their pattern of attack. And so it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, uh, I guess you could call it, not an endless runner, but kind of just a, survival game where you're trying to go from point A to point B and find resources as you go while you get to there. And basically as you go, there's kind of this story unraveling that like, as you get to each, I guess, underwater station, there's like a little story unraveling that something happened. They're doing some research down there, blah, 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 blah. And then as you, when you leave that, you get a new destination based on the information you gained at that stage and it's a little further away, then the next one's a little further away from that, et cetera, et cetera. Items become harder to find. So it, it's kind of this, I believe it's randomly generated, so it's kind of half luck that you find the items you need to survive, half skill that you decide when to you know, backtrack, when you use, choose to use your sonar, when, how you avoid the enemies. So it's kind of this neat little game. I, so if sounds complicated for something that probably looks super simple, it's super simple. It literally is like this eighty. What you would envision like an eighties sonar radar to be, except it's not green. It's not green like a radar. It's kind of like bluish white. I couldn't even make it green. Well, it's it's a sonar. <laughs> it's not a radar. Oh, okay, but it's the same sort of idea. Um, yeah, it's it's super simple. Um, the company that made it is called Finji, I believe. And I, I only heard about this game, oddly enough, is because I just watched a GDC um, video with these guys on it or with the one the one um, writer. I can't remember her name. Um, but she was on it and she was talking about how they're having all this trouble selling Capsule because 
one, the name is really hard to Google and you don't really find it. And it's kind of a hard game to explain. Like I just, just showed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so it was like a buck 25 or whatever from five or six. So I, I picked it up and, uh, kind of enjoying it actually it's kind of this weird little just easy kind of and it's really simple you know you, you save at a way station or whatever and then you continue on to the next one so uh it's really easy to just play for like a couple minutes you know have a couple runs if you succeed great if you don't then you just shut it down and start again the next the next time hmm. um so <laughs> check out capsule it's kind of neat so is that not out for uh mobile I don't know. I got it on Steam. I didn't really look into hmm. what other platforms it's Seems like it would be a, a good mobile game, but yeah, it could be. Uh, I guess you could flick up or something. It kind of it seems to require more, or I guess just hold up, down, left, or right. I guess on your screen. Yeah, you could do it for sure. Uh, and then the the last game I played a while ago. I don't know if you guys have heard of this game called Punch Club. It's, I've heard of this. It's yeah. kind of like a uh, Rocky Balboa meets management sim where you are a boxer and you have to choose to train up your strength, your speed, or your stamina. And you train and then you go and fight bouts and you're trying to become... There's there's a whole bunch of like side stories that are very 80s referenced. Uh, there's kind of like the Karate Kid angle. There's the Rocky angle. They even throw in like this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, except they're not turtles, they're alligators angle. And there's all this like you know, big trouble, little China type stuff. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of a neat little, uh, homage, to like eighties movies and stuff. Sounds like Frank would hate it. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I'm going to barf. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's kind of, kind of the, the game loops pretty fun. Uh, you know, you eat food to gain energy. You only have so much energy throughout the day to train with. And then if you, I can't remember, and then you also have to like build your relationships for people, but every all the time you spend building relationships or doing a job to gain money, you lose um, like your skill points, your power, your strength, or your speed. So there's this there's this management of resource to choose if you want if you need money, if you need strength to fight, if you need relationship to increase like bigger bonuses. And there's these little like quests for each person and you know, go do these, this job, go do, go meet my girlfriend, find flowers for her and stuff like this. So it's kind of just neat little time waster game. It kind of reminds me of like, just, I don't know, almost like a Sim City type game, but way so, toned It sounds down. like something that, um, what's that company called? Kairosoft or Kairosoft? You know, they do like game dev story. Yes. And all those games. Yeah. It's almost exactly like one of those games. Yeah. yeah. Like a management sim. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I liked it. I liked it. It's kind of kind of cheesy, kind of corny, but uh, then you go to you go to Russia to train and all this stuff. Right? You nice. fight a bear. <laughs> it, it was a good time. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I got addicted to that like a few months ago for like a solid week. And that one's on Steam as well. Yeah, I got it on Steam. Yeah, it's called Punch Club. Nice. That's it for me. All right. Well, uh, let's let's burn through some junk mail here. GameJunkPodcast at gmail.com is where you can reach us. Um, I think we had some left over from last time, so I hope some of these aren't outdated, but let's go through them. Uh, Mark, Mike Marshall says, Hey, guys, long-time Film Junk listener since 2006. I love all your shows, even Ball Junk, and I don't even like sports. 
Anyway, I wanted to ask you guys if anyone thinks Nintendo might be turning over a new leaf this time around. Do you think they will start actively pursuing development on titles that fans have been begging for? Until recently, Nintendo refused to even consider the possibility of developing for mobile platforms. Even though everyone wanted them to, now that Nintendo will be focusing development efforts on a single platform, instead of splitting them between handheld and console, do you think they will have the resources and inclination to develop HD remakes of classics such as Mario 64 with modern controls? They've usually avoided remakes. I don't know about that. Even when there's pretty much guaranteed huge profit and investors want them to, what do you think the odds are that they will develop a huge new IP rather than crank out more sequels? I'm hopeful as always. Thanks for all the great listening, Mike. I kind of addressed some of these things. Um, I guess the main thing is, uh, are they going to be developing games that everyone's been begging for? So, to get back to the Metroid thing, Frank, is there a secret Metroid game in development right now? Uh, I don't think so. If I would were to make a Metroid prediction, I would predict Metroid Prime or Super Metroid Remake. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that. But, I mean, like, they did the... Um, well, I guess it wasn't... Uh, a remaster or anything, but they did the trilogy for the Wii with the Wii controls. Yes, that's not what I'm speaking of. I'm talking about like redoing the art, uh, everything, recreating Metroid Prime. That'd be a safe play. I, I can't envision them really going crazy, especially since we don't know the specs of the machine. I think if the specs are high, we could maybe expect some new IP, but I think if it's just kind of like middle of the road... They'll probably just keep going with what they got. I mean, it would be nice to see new IP, but I think we kind of talked about it earlier, where they haven't released a a new IP in such a long time that they're not really showing like they have the the desire to really push the system with anything new. Nostalgia is an all-time high with marketing and popularity, so I can't see them stopping that. Is there are there um, franchises that people are dying for them to? bring back that they haven't other than metroid there was kid icarus but that got 3ds yeah and uh, it wasn't that good whoa 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 easy buddy <laughs> um, just being honest here hmm not that i can think of i mean if they, they could somehow they, if they could somehow do goldeneye again i think that would sell if they could get the rights to that or do an hd remake of goldeneye but they, people. they did that on the wii yeah, no, it was it wasn't the same. I'm talking like original Goldeneye, redone, straight up uh, remake. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the thing is, there's lots of classic NES games that I think people would love to see revived. But how many of those are actual Nintendo properties? That's the thing. I'm not sure. Exactly. About. So I'm gonna name two more. Contra, maybe. Uh, That's no, not right? Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, close, Sean, but you're wrong. It's gotta <laughs> be F Zero. We need a new F Zero. Oh, game. that's a good choice. Yeah, it's true. And then after that, I would say, oh, what was it again? I had it. I was just looking at it. Shit. They tried to do Star Fox, and it was horrible. Yep. For, by all accounts, haven't played it, but there was one other one. I can't remember anymore. I'm losing it. Ice Climber. No. The Mario Although Brothers it w- Arena Battler? The original Somehow Mario the, Brothers? 
Yeah. Maybe. If they could somehow get Rare back, I think that could be huge for them. I don't think Rare is still Rare. Oh, I think they could be. I Buy those, um, the guys doing that other one. The the Banjo-Kazooie Ukulele? type game. Yeah, Ukulele. 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 Buy those I think that I think that game looks really good, so I'm excited. Yeah, other than that, they're done. Nintendo's done. Why are we talking about them? <laughs> it's over. Uh, give up. Just oh. looked up, uh, you know, NES games that need to be remade. I guess Earthbound and Mother are a big one. Uh, yeah, that that's actually a pretty big one that I think people would want. Faxanadu was that actually Nintendo? I don't know if it I think was. So. Yep. Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of. Uh, Great ideas here. Anyway, uh, moving on. Going from Frank in Long Beach. Hey, guys. Just curious as to what genre of gaming you each enjoy playing the most. And of the various genres, what are your top games of all time? Also, how does having worked in the game industry and seeing how the sausage is made affect your enjoyment of a game? Well, I can start. Uh, I'm a total RPG sports an action adventure guy, though I do try to dabble in everything. And of those, I'd say Mass Effect up my top list. Mass Effect One. Don't listen to these Mass Effect Two people. Uh, the SNES RPGs, uh, like I just I mentioned, I was playing Uncharted. Great game. Those are probably my top. I I'm sure there's others, but those are up there. And. For me, working in the industry, I think actually makes me enjoy games more, especially when I see something that I consider hard to do. It really impresses me and makes me want to, you know, play that game more, figure it out what they did. Um, though it does make me much more critical of shitty games, and though I understand it sometimes due to time pressures. Uh, yeah. Right. Frank? I mean, I, if I have to pick a favorite genre, it would be action-adventure, I think. And Uncharted, recent Tomb Raiders, uh, I would probably lump in the classic Zelda games or 3D Zeldas into that. and Oh, Metroid, of course. And platformers. Yeah, and Metroid, good call. And platformers are up there, too. Although, there hasn't been... What would my favorite platform would be? Probably Banjo-Kazooie, for sure. Uh, yeah, action-adventure. Not, not a lot of difference here between us, but uh, Uncharted 2, Resident Evil 4 still up there for me. I guess I'm not, I'm not a huge horror game hound, but that one really worked for me, and it had enough action that I you know, wasn't super frustrated playing it. Uh, what else? I mean, Metroid, obviously. Metroid, Super Metroid. I Metal like, Gear Solid 1. Yeah, that's a classic. I haven't played too many other Metal Gear games, but the first one's great. And God of War, I should probably say, too. Yep. And, you know, I guess if I had to throw another genre in there just to switch it up, I guess puzzle stuff, um, maybe something like Portal 2 I would throw in there. I'm, the Room. The Room, yeah. And... uh yeah, I don't know. Working on games, I I don't know if it. 
I, if anything, I do think it's more, more, um, makes me like and appreciate games more. I don't think I am that critical of games. I mean, just because I know how it was made or what shortcuts they might have taken, I feel like there's a lot more. Like, you just, there's so much work that the average person will never appreciate, you know? Yeah. Like, like we were talking, I think we were talking about Uncharted and just how, you know, the detail and the environments and you see them for like a second and they're gone. And it's like, yeah, somebody spent so much time on that. And even just, even just, uh, the only other thing, the negative is just that when you get into a crunch while making a game, you do not really get to play games during that time because you're just so exhausted. Um, that is a detractor, but really that's not anything about playing games in general. Just the amount of games you can play is going to be stunted. Yeah, I think just like the act of shipping a game is yeah a huge Exhausting. thing. <laughs> and so just to know if somebody put out a game, no matter how shit that game is, you're like, hey, you finished a game. That's something. Um, okay, Blake in Boston says, my sweet, sweet game men. I know Frankie's been just creaming over his PlayStation VR headset, <laughs> but I have a few caveats that are keeping me from taking the virtual plunge. Uh, first gen hiccups, no HDR support, gimmicky parlor games, etc. It does lead me to the question of what the next crop of virtual reality will look like. Let's imagine Frank is the head of Nintendo, Sean is Xbox, Huck City, Sony. Give us your 30 second pitch for the next virtual reality headset and killer app. P.S. Has Frank checked out VR porn yet? If so, how par- paranoid is he that someone is breaking into his apartment as he's furiously masturbating? On a scale of one to ten, <laughs> I got a funny VR porn story that I've, uh, you know, I overheard. <laughs> well, I didn't overhear somebody. Sure I, did. Somebody at work told me that uh, that happened to a friend of his. So uh, it does make me curious to try out VR porn, though. He said he was watching something and he was into the scene or whatever before he realized he was in the body of a woman and he was being fucked by a man. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how he uh, clicked through into that and didn't realize that's what he was getting into. But hey, this is this is the... Uh, it's the future. This is the world we're entering into and I can't wait. Um, so, <laughs> so Frank, Nintendo, VR, make your pitch. I mean, I kind of already alluded to it or said it. It's, it's Metroid in VR. I can't think of a better game to take place in VR. Yeah, Metroid Prime specifically, right? Like it's in so many ways, it's perfect. the The general lock on shooting systems of Metroid uh, lend themselves to non precise controls and like being able to point and shoot and lock on. I think is perfect. And then you have the aspect of investigation and inspection, which would go to the other hand. And you're literally mapping these different behaviors to different hands. It's it's the perfect thing, and I mean the ultimate would be like some kind of custom, like arm cannon controller, like your own little fusion thing, where different buttons inside are doing, like let's say there was one map to each finger, one's regular shot, one's missiles, one's bombs and stuff like that. The only thing that would might suck in Metroid is the the ball. I don't know. That doesn't lend itself that naturally, but I think you could do what Metroid Prime does already. Just temporarily go to third person, 
It'd be um, pretty sweet if you actually had to curl up into a ball to activate it, though. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You fart to drop bombs. Could be the, ne- <laughs> the next uh, big thing. And, yeah, I think that's... And I definitely think there would be something to a WarioWare game in virtual reality. That oh, yeah. Be, you know that would be the first launch title for an Nintendo That would be VR very system. cool, I think. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I don't have much of a pitch for the Xbox. I, I guess I got Halo, one Halo would be the obvious thing that they would try to use it for, but we'll go for it, Frank. The ultimate VR game, which I guess technically could come out on a Nintendo platform as well. If we're talking games on rails, rail shooters, Panzer Dragoon in mm-hmm. VR would be the greatest. Riding this killer dragon, the art design is amazing. Uh that is the game I want the most in VR. Isn't that a Sega property? It is. And then there's the guy who made Panzer Dragoon left and made his own version called Crimson Dragon or Dragoon. That was a launch title on Xbox One. So maybe he, you know, does that in VR or something like that. But that's got to happen. Well, I guess, you know, Xbox at least has the Kinect that they could use with it, so you don't necessarily need to have a controller in your hand. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, what? Yeah, you mentioned before, Huxley, the HoloLens. I don't know what what's going on with that. But wasn't was that the thing with the, uh, with the images projected on the, the wall as well, or no? That was the Illuma Room. Oh, Illuma Room. That, that, thing, that thing was pretty cool, but yeah. it's kind of not applicable when you are wearing a visor already <laughs> yeah huh okay yeah i got nothing else what do you got i'd say don't listen to frank over there z targeting would be seasick all over the place you get your head snapped in vr you get your head snapped around what what game did we say that has z targeting whatever your lock on targeting oh your lock on targeting with you're, metroid you're, oh no yeah. definitely not no, 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 no. Quick snapping of your head while moving. Hello. You're done. You're on the floor. Metroid, it's not like that. Like, the enemy's usually in front of you, and you're kind of, like, managing it. Don't, no, don't listen no. to this guy. Sony's going to bring you home with the VR. We're going to bring you the ultimate Sherlock Holmes experience, <laughs> obviously. You're going to investigate crimes, real-life murders. It's going to be cutting edge. And... You find yeah, all the clues. You don't need to make a pitch because you've already got a VR And I got a headset already, <laughs> bitches. All right. Jabe says, Frankie put the call out for a Resident Evil 6 Defender, and I'm here to answer it. Played the re-release for PS4 earlier in the year and had a blast. It's big, a big, dumb, fun action game. You get four meaty campaigns that all feel different. I'm not a big shooter guy, but for some reason, the controls and mechanics feel great to me. Seriously don't understand the hate. Resident Evil 7 looks interesting, but I'm bummed they've bowed to the power of Copo. Looks like so many other <laughs> horror games right now. Outlast, Alien, Isolation, Layers of Fear, Soma, etc. What do you all think of RE7? I don't know a lot about it, to be honest. I, I've kind of stayed away. So if that's what it is, gross. I'm I'm with you. I'm, I love classic RE. Yeah, I guess I'm not... I mean, I haven't played... Most of those games, I've played a bit of Alien Isolation, but uh, so I mean, it doesn't 
that's not really a bad thing to me, but I guess if it's going away from any sort of action at all, maybe that's not up my alley because as I said, I think RE4 is the best in the series. So yeah, I'm a pretty big horror wuss in general. So I did play some outlast recently, but, uh, I can't imagine strapping into the old VR to uh, get the shit scared out of me, so I will not be playing it regardless of what it is. I bought Until Dawn, the original today. was on sale on the PlayStation Store. Oh, yeah? Oh, I, I saw about that. Yeah. Oh, I should good. maybe think about getting that, too. Yeah, I've heard it's good. So It is good. I played a bit of it. Yeah. Just had no time to go back. Remember we were going to do it last Halloween? Were we? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. I think we were. Next Halloween. You and I game junk stream at my place, but it didn't happen. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Uh, Okay, we got a double email from our buddy Jared. He just keeps the junk mail flowing. Um, He basically is saying, uh, long story short, I was at Best Buy and they had a demo of the Oculus with the touch controllers. The sense of immersion was beyond anything I've experienced. Closest comparison would be the first time I played Super Mario 64. The most impressive aspect was that it's very tactile. I could see exactly where my hands are. Is PSVR comparable? Have any of us tried Oculus or the Vive? And how do they compare? Frank, what's your take on 2K16? And then he also mentions that he got into Metal Gear 5, thinks it's one of the most realized experiences he's ever played. Um, Who is the best game designer of all time? I think it's Miyamoto. But is Kojima number two? You guys have all worked on video games. I want the inside shit. Uh, Frank has done some weird things for games. That's why he likes Gore Verbinski. Sean knows where the bodies are buried. Jay is too Hollywood for game junk. Try to keep it real. Love everyone, Jared. So, um, I don't think any of us played Oculus or the Vive. No. No. I imagine it's pretty similar, though. Would love to try the touch gloves, though, and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does seem like they're a little more high-end than the PSVR, but I don't know what that amounts to. I don't know if it's just it looks better or... I mean, certainly there's more cutting-edge peripherals and things that seem to be coming out for those mm-hmm. devices, but... So... If, if you got really immersed, it's probably a pretty similar experience because that's what the VR does. The PSVR, I should say. Yeah. So, uh, best game designer of all time. We were uh, debating doing a top five list for this, but Frank was dead set against it, so we need to get into this. Um, I mean, I was just trying, like, the question immediately made me think, I mean, best game designer of all time is a tough one, and, I mean, you can't argue with Miyamoto, but um, I was just thinking. Sure you can. (laughs) Okay. But I was just thinking of, like, what game designers are there that if I hear their name, I immediately will check out the game, you know, sight unseen, basically. But then we're not really talking about game designers, Sean. We're talking about game directors or producers or consultants. (sighs) Like, this term is not a thing. It might as well be top five video game personalities that people know. Sean, what was your favorite game last year? I didn't have one. <laughs> the year before that. I don't remember. Let's say one year it was it was uh Uncharted. Sure, probably who, Uncharted. Who designed game. it? Well, 
Amy Henning is no, she wrote it. Who designed it? Well, but I mean, she also helped design it as well. Like, I mean, this is the thing. Like, the guy who did Last of Us. No, see this. This is what I'm talking about. These are such nebulous statements. And my favorite game was Rise of the Tomb Raider last year. I don't know who designed it. I have no idea. It's not the same as a director to a movie. I don't even know the directors of games. And I'm like guilty of not looking into it. It's like it's an unfair topic to broach, even when like I don't know who designed half of like all my favorite games of all time. It's a weird thing. But I mean, like I I see what you're saying, but like you don't think film is a similarly collaborative environment, and yet there's still somebody at the top who gets the credit, and there's you know certain directors who are jobbers who don't put their stamp on it, and then there's directors who put their stamp on it and are clearly much more in control of a, a a work of art. You don't think that same thing applies to games? I mean, what about like indie games that are made by one or two people? That I think it could apply to that. I, I would agree with that for sure. But I, I don't know who they are either, necessarily. I know the games I like. I don't necessarily know. You know who, who Jonathan Blow is. Come who on. Who designed them. I do know. I, I know Blow. Uh, <laughs> Blow knows. Blow knows baseball. But it does, it's, just, it's not right. I, uh, I don't feel right even talking about like who my top five would be because I'm ignoring my favorite games ever because I don't know their names. Like when you talk about movies, I think for the, for the most part, a lot of the public doesn't know directors. They have favorite movies and I have favorite games. And a lot of people went to work on those and I just don't want to, I don't even, there's multiple designers on these games. Shigeru Miyamoto is singly responsible for the worst designed feature in video game history, which is the blowing mechanic in Donkey Kong Country Returns. <laughs> like, he has turds associated with his name, as some directors do as well. But, I mean, let's, we're, there are icons of the game industry, undeniable, but to put ideas, game design ideas on one person is just blasphemy as far as I'm concerned. But it's not just, like, who's responsible for the ideas. It's the person who harnesses all the people that are giving out ideas and picking the good ones and and sort of, like, running the, you know, captaining the ship or whatever the word is. Okay, so who would would those people be? I I agree with you. Kojima's the only one I can actually think of. Well, I got a list of some of the bigger ones. These aren't necessarily my favorites, but you've got people like Sid Meier, Will Wright, Peter Molyneux, Cliffy B. Uh, no. The Bioware Doctors. The Bioware Doctors, John Romero, Warren Spector. Carmack. Carmack. Probably, probably not really a big designer, but comes Ken, from in there. Ken Levine. I would say Jordan Mechner. Jordan Mechner is on my Prince list. Uh, David Jaffe, Tim Schaefer, uh, Kim Swift, who did the Portal games. Uh, Jonathan Blow. Maybe. Yep. Uh, IGA, who did a lot of the Castlevania games. Suda51. That one, I would I would agree, counts. Which one? Suda. Yeah. Well, he's definitely got a, you know, a noticeable style. And As an auteur of gaming, there's a few on that list I, I agree with, but not many. Yeah, I, I guess it's... It is a tough question. It's hard to nail down. 
Especially I don't even know what games. capacity. Like Shigeru Miyamoto, yes, he worked on the first Mario. We associate him with other Mario games. He might have showed up and worked on Mario Galaxy two days of the fucking project or been at meetings. Like, it, it, it's not a fair representation where I know for the most part a film director is on the set every day and in the editing room and overseeing every aspect of the game or the movie. Yeah, not necessarily, but most of the time. Okay, I don't know. Did you have anything else? No, I'm 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 kind of in the middle. Like I agree there are people with talented design chops, but like especially on AAA games like well, I mean, look at like Red Dead. I mean, are the Hausers, the Hauser brothers really involved in that game? Probably not, but they are like the most associated with it. Yeah. And I mean, that game is probably being built by 500 people. Look at the Assassin's Creed games. Those games are built by thousands of people. You know, those are awesome games. But could you nail down the designer of that? No. I mean, they have a director or directors. Yeah. But how much are they really responsible for the end product? I mean, they might be responsible for steering the ship, but I don't think in the same regards as like a director of film where he's choosing the exact shots. I mean, the actors are still pulling off their part but really he can tell them to do it whatever they they want and like he can cut out whatever he wants whereas like there's a lot of shit that goes into games i think um not just the visuals but like the technical aspects uh like tools all that crap that no one gets any credit for like you know you could have an awesome programmer that writes a tool that makes the game come out two years faster no one will ever know that guy's name but, yeah, well, I don't know if they need to be credited creatively for the game. No, either, I don't. Though. But I mean, I mean, it's just an aspect of games that you would never hear about, although they are integral to the game being built. Yeah. All right. So, Sean, who would be like your top two? Well, Tim Schafer. Like, this is based on like I'm not saying best game designer of all time that you know changed video games. These are like the guys that I hear their name. I'm going to check it out. Tim Schafer would be one. Kim Swift would be another. Uh, probably uh, the guys that did um, Stanley Parable who have split off and kind of started doing their own thing. Um, Amy Hedding, I, I mean, I feel like anything she does, I'm going to be interested in. Even if she's not designing, even if she's just writing it and coming up with, you know, the basic uh, premise for the game. That's like that new Star Wars game. I'm pretty excited for that. And all I know is that she's writing it. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so, did you yeah, play I, a Quantum Conundrum, Sean? Yeah, I did. Okay, just checking. <laughs> I don't know if she's done anything since then, but did you play Soul? Was... Did you play Soul Fjord on Ouya? No, I did not. <laughs> oh, you love Kim Swift. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd be interested if I had an Ouya. Please. Anyway, good question. Um. So got a couple tweets, questions via Twitter, at DK underscore film. Uh, do you buy DLC for a game you love, even if the DLC comes out a year or more after release, i.e. The Witcher 3? I do, thanks. I do not, but I don't buy really any DLC. Hey, I was trying to think of games that I've bought DLC for, and I can't mm. think of many. The only games I want to, which haven't, are The Last of Us 1. Whatever that's called. Yeah. And The Witcher 3, which I don't own yet. 
and now that they have the game of the year edition, I'll probably pick that up at some point. I did buy the Undead Nightmare add-on for Red Dead. Mm-hmm. I remember buying a lot of the DLC for Left 4 Dead. I bought uh, the season pass for Tomb- Rise of the Tomb Raider. I think I bought a lot of the expansions for, for the Forza Horizon games. Did a lot of didn't one of you buy the uh, Arkham City DLC thing? Oh yeah, I, I did buy the uh, yeah that expansion for Arkham Knight and played most of it. I think uh, Battlefront bought the season pass for that. I haven't played that quite enough. And I tend to buy some of it when it's on sale later after the fact. I was actually close to buying the season pass for Battlefront, but I didn't realize you couldn't buy it piecemeal. You can only you get can. the all or nothing. Oh, you can? You can buy it piecemeal, yeah. Oh. Pretty sure you can buy buy just the Bespin battle or the Death Star battle for 15 bucks. Oh, really? Like I those, was expan- those expansions, pretty sure. No, I, couldn't, I couldn't find that. I was looking for the Death Star one. I couldn't find it. Xbox. I blame Xbox. Okay. Xbox. I blame Xbox. I blame Microsoft. Poor store. All right. At Mr. Bolex says, have any of you gone back and revisited Destiny since launch? It's DLC seemingly brought it back from the dead. And he sends a link to an article about the DLC selling more copies than the original Destiny sold, I believe. Yeah. Sorry. Just to get back to Huck, I think he's right with the... Like Bespin is available now as on its own, but the yep. Death Star isn't. So there might be like a, time a timing window for mm-hmm. the season pass holders, which is lame. So Destiny, anybody playing it? No, no, uh, no. I always get the urge and end up buying some DLC pack or code online and play it for one night. And- Although I did borrow Taken King from the library, but didn't play any of the Taken King content. Yeah, I mean, this is the problem. I, I picked up the original Destiny when it was super cheap just before Taken King came out, played a bit of it, was kind of into it. But then it's like, I feel like I'm... Everybody's saying that the DLC stuff is the best stuff that they've done so far, so I want to play that. But then it's like, I, I'm just starting the game. Like, I, yeah. I, you know, and now it's you feel like you're even more... you got to be really invested in it to get yeah, the full I mean, amount out of the DLC. It's just, yeah. I don't like doing this, but just a heads up. I think when you buy those DLCs, there are ways to uh, bypass the original story and like level up to level 20 immediately to tackle that stuff if you want. Yeah, I think I remember reading some stuff about that. But you just acquire the like, skills to play the game. Yeah, like you feel no, like I, you're I cheating agree. yourself out that. of something. Yeah. Uh, at... Uh, SOS Paradox says, ask Frank about Clash Royale and Clash of Clans. New updates. What is his clan called? Is there any? Is there room for fans to join? Where is he at level-wise? Is he a farmer or is he into war? Will he go to the next Clash Con? <laughs> and will he buy any of the new Kotobukuya stat- <laughs> statues? And if so, which ones? All of them, will they be the new Amiibos? And try to get him to say NASA. NASA? NASA? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what he was looking for. Do I usually say Nassau? Maybe. Any who. Uh, I'm still playing Clash, playing it right now. Um, <laughs> I'm level 100. My, my town hall is level 9. You know, I still enjoy it quite a bit. I'm not like a feverish player, but, you know, 
I always play when I'm taking a dump. And sometimes when I'm not taking a dump, when I'm watching TV or doing other things. So not into Clash Royale, definitely not into cons. And uh, no, you can't have my Clash, my clan name. That's private. That's for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At Luke J Guy says, have you got a replacement in mind for when Frank disappears into VR permanently? Well, I think eventually the show will be all in VR, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously. Like, we'll all be in VR. Yeah. So. What's that What's that movie with Bruce Willis? Where surrogates. Surrogates? We'll all be surrogates. Yep. Uh, Stephen Carpenter had some questions. I think we answered most of them. He wanted to know, with VR stuff, do we expect other AAA title games or franchises like Call of Duty to also start incorporating VR into their Mm -hmm. games? I think so. I want pod racing, too. That's a good one. But, I mean, it's not going to be... I I can't see them putting out a game, a full game, where it's like you can play it either with VR or without. Like, it would have to be some special bonus level or add-on thing for VR. You know what I mean? I think that will be the approach for a while until uh, there's like a. F- I think it would be tough to put that kind of money into that experience when the install base is so small for VR. Well, can't you play Thumper regular? Yeah. And it's being marketed as a VR game. You can still play it without VR. Yeah, but he's talking about AAA games. Yeah, I mean, you could potentially I, 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 do go the same route. If the game is designed properly. I I guess first-person games, maybe it would be possible. I don't know. But I think Frank's right. The the title to watch for this is Resident Evil, right? Yeah. See how that does. Yeah, true. Uh, Okay. And we're ending off with a rapid fire from Gaffney in Buffalo. You guys ready? This is new. Is this like... I think he's he's, heads up for this. I think he's ripping off the gas pedal. The gas man might have to sue. (laughs) Uh, Okay, you guys ready? Mm -hmm. Number one, choose your controller, X-Bone or DualShock 4. X-Bone. X-Bone. I I think X-Bone as well. Number two, No Man's Sky, exclusive indie gem or overhyped turd? Overhyped turd. Exclusive indie gem. Turd. (laughs) Number three, will the Switch return Nintendo to their former glory or keep them lost at sea? Sea. Lost at sea. L-O-S. O-L-A-S. <laughs> uh, number four. L-O-S-T. Best Nintendo series, Super Mario or The Legend of Zelda? Yeah. I got to go Mario. It's a tough one, but I think Mario is just more iconic and important. I think Zelda. I am going Zelda. Number five, will Final Fantasy fifteen save the planet or lay a big fat chocobo egg? The middle. Middle of those two. Big fat chocobo egg. The biggest chocobo egg you've ever seen <laughs> in your life. <laughs> this game will be an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> Number six, PlayStation Pro abandons 4K Blu-ray. Unforgivable omission or dropping dead weight? Unforgettable emission. I'm I'm saying dropping dead weight. <laughs> Rhetorical question. Not even a question. <laughs> Number seven, Nintendo NES Classic Edition. Must buy or why bother? Why bother? 
Yeah, I, 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 I'll say Don't why even... bother, but it's probably going to be on my Christmas list, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. You're getting that, it. Definitely a must bother. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, current gen. So far so good or weakest gaming generation yet? Mm. I'll go pretty, weakest weakest weak. gaming generation yet. Yeah, pretty weak. I don't know. what. Like, what? like I would say the N64 was the weakest, but I guess that's the same era. <laughs> that includes PlayStation, PS1. PlayStation's pretty pretty big. I never had a PS1, so I Especially cannot. Especially if you're an RPG guy, PS1 is pretty huge. That might be the best generation of all time. <laughs> I don't know about that. And it's close with the 16-bit generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with Frank. I'll go so far so good. Number nine. This guy's just got to stir the fucking pot. <laughs> <laughs> Can Red Dead Redemption 2 possibly surpass the first? Yes. And if so, will it? Yes. I think yes, so. Yes. I think they're still building on stuff they did. Absolutely and with certainty. Number 10. The Last Guardian. Next best case for games as art or HD Ico with a big dog? Big dog Ico. HD Ico that was done three years ago. Games as art, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus question. Next Game Junk episode drops end of year Nintendo Switch launch or when Half-Life 3 comes out? Mm. Switch launch. Probably Switch launch. <laughs> Speaking of which. End of year. What's coming end out of year? End of year. You think so? In two months? I don't think so. I mean... Uh, We're not a two-month podcast. We're a three- to four-month podcast. So stuff that's coming out still, Dishonored 2, Watch Dogs 2, um, Pokemon Sun and Moon. I thought... Didn't Watch Dogs 2 get moved? Did it? I don't know. Am I... No. I think no, it's I think I'm thinking still. of something else. Yeah. Uh, uh, what else? Uh, Darksiders War Mastered Edition. Final Fantasy 15, Star Trek Bridge Crew, um, Steep. When are those ones? November? Bridge yeah. Crew and uh, Final Fantasy? Yeah, end of November. And South Park, The Fractured Butthole. Is that oh, that got, yeah. No, that got moved to January. Did it? Or, yeah. or February. That's the next episode. That got moved out. I've Definitely. actually been watching this season of South Park and been loving it. Really? I got to get back on that train. I, I actually installed Stick of Truth and was playing through the first like hour or two. So good. Can't wait. And then Dead Rising 4 and The Last Guardian. And then uh, early next year, we got Resident Evil 7, For Honor, and Horizon Zero Dawn in February. So Could have a show in February then with Horizon and Stick of Truth. Yeah. I mean, uh, Fractured Butthole. Yep. We got to do Last Guardian. We got to weigh in on this thing. <laughs> okay. I'll probably be picking it up. I, Don't I, worry, you'll be able to beat it in three hours. The library will probably be picking it up, so we're good. All right. My well, prediction, 3.5-hour game. And, Perfect. Uh, I'm predicting uh, one and a half stars. All right. I'm predicting, truthfully, five-hour game, four and a half out of five for me. <laughs> Big turn around. <laughs> All right, thanks everyone for listening. That's a four and a half turd there. I never said it was a. Tr- uh, I never said a turd. I just said it was done already. It was done three years ago. No, the rapid fire. You said it was going to lay a big turd. No, giant chocobo egg. <laughs> that was Final Fantasy. That's true. It was Final Fantasy. It's a completely different game. No, the turd one was. The, you the were definitely was. implying the turd. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Maybe right. I did say it was a turd. I apologize. <laughs> it's going to be a masterpiece. Uh, a piece of artwork that we'll cherish for decades to come. <laughs> Facebook.com slash Game Junk at Game Junk Podcast. Follow us and um, follow us all individually on Twitter at Dirty Frank with three R's and dirty at... You, you still plug in the My Angry Commute or well, I'm, Equilibrium I'm there. Sis? Well, I'm, no, I'm more from My Angry Commute for sure. Okay. Unless you want to watch my Inktober and you want to go back and look at my you gotta, Inktober. You know what you got to do is you got to pull the switcheroo <laughs> like uh, like no. Chiel did. No, no. He had like all these followers on the documentary blog Twitter account and not no, as many on his personal move. account and he swapped them. Yeah, but people are tuning in to hear oh. about angry commute stories, not about some <laughs> random company. But you don't have I a need commute. to start like three separate Twitter. I need to start a Stranger Things fan Twitter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what else? NES mini uh fake Twitter. Trump. Yeah. And oh, make Nintendo great again. Yeah, so there I did look it up. M N G Trump Tendo. Trump Tendo's out there. Trump Tendo. <laughs> but yeah, I got to do those and then yeah, just consolidate them all into one. <laughs> or see which yeah. one's the highest and consolidate to them towards that one. That's a great idea. Do it. Uh, and I am at Film Junk. And anything else you guys need to mention? Nope. I would no. say again, look up Seabite Studios on Twitter uh, if you want to be on the, the cutting edge of future game announcements. Fuck, this is a long podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. See ya. What are we at? Are we over four? Like three and a half. Oh, that's least. not a record then. No, it's we're good. Three forty currently, four. but I don't know how much of that is. The last. If Jay four. would have recorded, it would have been six hours. Yeah. Yes, it would have been. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next time, right here on Game Junk. Mm-hmm.